WAPG Airline Pilot Guy. Airline Pilot Guy, episode 278.5, Feedback Extra. You're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show, the view from our side of the cockpit door. I'm Captain Jeff, your host, broadcasting live from Studio 1A in the APG headquarters building in a northern Atlanta suburb, Roswell, Georgia. In today's episode, well, this is a feedback extra, so we're going to focus on covering your feedback. So, get all settled in. Tray tables and seat backs in their upright and locked positions. Electronic devices powered on. Flight 278.5 is ready for pushback. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Airline Pilot Guy Show special episode, Feedback Extra. Uh, This is an aviation podcast where we normally talk about uh, news from uh, the previous week and cover your feedback and have some nice little extras like installments of plane tales and that sort of thing. But guess what? Today, none of that. We're going to go right to your feedback. Actually, uh, after we talk a little bit about uh, what's been going on recently in our lives. So uh, let's see. I am not alone here. I'm not doing an old school episode. I have a couple co-hosts with me. Let's start with uh, from... Across the pond. Former fighter pilot, professional photographer, commercial airline captain for Acme Red, flying those wide-body Airbuses. Captain Nick. A fine morning to you, Jeff, from the UK. It's a glorious day here. I'm about to close the curtains, though. Shut out that sunlight. Uh, it's so nice, actually, to, to be joining you when I'm not falling asleep or having imbibed uh, a wee too much because the night is gone on. So, uh, yeah, looking forward to a show where I can actually speak properly and uh, at the normal speed that a human being does. <laughs> well, I thought you might enjoy uh, doing this uh, during daylight hours. So, uh, oh, it makes a big difference, I tell you. Yeah, and right. we also we also have, uh, just across town from where I am, up on the, uh, I guess, the northwest side uh, in, well, we're not going to say exactly, but it's a suburban area of uh, northwest Atlanta. On his motorcycle... Well, not actually on his motorcycle, but we have a motorcycle rider, former regional pilot, now Mad Dog Captain for Acme Air Mainline, Dana. Well, great to be back once again and uh, hoping for another great show, just uh, focusing on feedback, get to some of the uh, things that everybody wants us to answer. And looking forward to another great show. Great to have Nick wide wide awake and uh, with us and in, in whole spirit and body absolutely and oh just to uh, to let you know a a, a little uh, technical note um normally when we publish these audio uh, podcasts i go through and tighten things up and you know make little edits here and there but guess what this is uh going to go out raw so um please pardon any technical 
issues that we might have on today's show, and I guarantee we will have them because we always do. And, uh, yep, there you go. I just heard one. <laughs> Actually, that might be some kind of a digestive issue, not a technical issue. But uh, anyway, so that's that's it. Here we are in all of our raw glory. Uh, too bad Dr. Steph couldn't be here to see it. <laughs> She's probably hiding her eyes. Averting your eyes. Yeah, speaking of Dr. Steph, she... Oh, listen, see, right here, we have... Somebody using the water right above uh, where I am here in the basement. So we're, we're hearing the uh, water going through the uh, plumbing system in my house. We haven't heard that in quite some time, but now you, you get to hear it. Describe it uh, dis- <laughs> describe it. You could always disguise it. I'm flushing your flushing the toilet. <laughs> I guess I could, yes. Uh, let me see if I can find the flushing toilet uh, sound effect. I cannot. Oh, well. Uh, no, I think it's on another. Have to make uh, do with the real thing. Yeah, yep, yep, yep. So, uh, oh, sounds like the uh, plumbing system has recovered, but that's exactly what I'm talking about. That's what we're doing today. We're doing it raw with all of our uh, warts and uh, whatever you say after that uh, hanging out there for you. So, uh, yeah, Captain Al says, cue Nick swearing. We do have a live chat room today. Just a reminder again that uh, we put out notices uh some of them very short notice as today uh on uh twitter and facebook if you want to follow us there uh twitter we're at apg crew and on airline pilot guy uh, facebook.com slash airline pilot guy also if you have one of these things these smartphones uh, whether it be an ios or an android version of these you can go to your respective app stores i believe it's the google play store on the android platform and download the airline pilot guy app and uh it, it's free there are no ads and even if you never use it although you can use it to listen to our podcasts and watch the videos and that kind of thing but even if you don't do any of that as long as you have it on your phone and you have notifications um ticked uh you'll get uh, a push notification from us when we're about to record a show and when a show is released so that's always a good way to kind of keep track of this and if you have uh, the time uh, to uh, and the stamina to watch us, uh, then you could be here uh, while we do this live. And it's a great chat room. We have several there with us today, um, and uh, I'm sure they're going to have a great time. So ah, there's a plug for the uh, live show and the chat room. Um, certainly. So um, let's see. I know that uh, some great things are going on in the uh, southeast of London, Captain Nick. Uh, you have a special guest? Oh, we do. Yes, it's the wonderful Liz Piper, who is a frequent uh, listener. Uh, she's a Patreon, great supporter of the show, usually in the chat room, although I suspect they may uh, frown upon it at the, this very second because she is at Wimbledon uh, watching uh, Rafa Nadal uh, play his uh, singles match there on court number one. So uh, uh, if anyone's watching it on television, see if you can find, see my wife, Jilly, and uh, Liz sitting together. Uh, they're probably up in the god somewhere. I don't know exactly where their seats were. But basically, um, uh, my wife and Liz have uh, uh, met up via the APG, uh, via my interest in the APG. And uh, after a lot of texting to and fro, uh, we gave 
uh, Liz an invitation to come across and uh, join us uh, at our house and uh, then go to Wimbledon. So that's the whole reason for her visit. But we did have a bit of a meet-up uh, yesterday and a barbecue with some uh, more of our local APG fans, supporters. So that was kind of cool. We'll probably get a bit of that. And uh, Liz very kindly came across with presents. So I have got this beautiful Royal Canadian Air Force uh, hat, one of my favorites, uh, wearing a baseball cap. I always love doing that. Uh, the dogs have all got uh, Hudson Bay um, in their traditional colors, uh, woven dog collars. I can't sh- show you one of those, unfortunately, without grabbing one. Uh, and they're currently flopped down on the floor. Uh, and uh, I got a beautiful bottle of uh, single malt whiskey as well. A Speyside whiskey, my favorite. She's got a great memory. So uh, we were very pleased to see her. Excellent. I can't wait. We do have some uh, audio that you recorded for the uh, the aforementioned meetup, and we'll do that uh, soon. Uh, but first, let's catch up with Dana. Anything interesting happen? Uh, interesting happening with you, Dana? Dana, Dana, you're on. We don't hear you. Okay. Apparently, nothing happening. Interesting. In Dana's life, which is not true. Looks like Paul Dana has frozen. Yes, he is uh, experiencing technical issues. Oh, hello, Dana. Can you hear me? Hello. Yes, you didn't turn Evernote back on, did you? I did not. Huh. Well, something else is <laughs> eating your bandwidth. But uh, I don't know. Did you hear me at all? Say. Yes, uh, I heard everything. Oh, okay. I heard everything. Yeah. Uh, I, and I was responding with that uh, all types of fun and interesting things are going on, but uh, nothing. Okay. <laughs> Poor Dana. He's really we're, struggling. Uh, yeah. We're, uh, we're really not hearing much of anything from you, Dana. Too interesting. <laughs> Well, I don't know what to tell you. Uh, Dana does have a lot to tell us because uh, he had an experience at a uh, hotel. Actually, he was exposed to something at a hotel, a uh, recent layover, and uh, it was kind of a shock to him. And, oh, look, he's gone now. Maybe he's going to restart the whole thing. Yeah, see what he we can do. message to say he's restarting everything. So okay. we might see him again in five minutes or so. Okay. All right. Well, we'll, we'll hold off then. Uh, on that and uh, when he gets back he can tell us about his uh, his uh, life in the last few days and uh, in the meantime you think it might be a good time nick to play that uh, audio that you recorded uh, during Fine, that yeah, be a perfect time okay let's do that then Okay, lovely APGs, it's the old pilot. Uh, we're here in my garden in lovely leafy lists, and this is take two of a series of interviews I've just done with my guests here as we enjoy the good weather here. And uh, we're at a barbecue, and I have got some special people here who are regular APG listeners. And uh, we've all come round to my place to enjoy a quiet afternoon, drink a little bit of wine, a little bit of food. Uh, And the first person I'm going to ask to introduce himself is... uh, 
Adam, Adam Spink. You've heard him on uh, Plain Talking UK and uh, being interviewed by Nev uh, for the APG. So he's our expert air traffic controller at London Heathrow. Knows an awful lot of stuff. And it's great to see you here, Adam. Thank you very much indeed for coming over. Uh, thank you very much for inviting us, Nick. Yes. Absolute pleasure. Had a, had a great uh, afternoon in the garden here. Uh, lovely house, lovely garden. And very nice food as well. Brilliant. Now, considering you've already said this once, perhaps you can recount the little uh, information snippet you had for me about uh, the uh, trials going on, or at least actually the implementation of the new software at Heathrow that manages to increase the number of movements. How's that working out? Yeah, so uh, it's called time-based separation. So on uh, arriving aircraft, rather than um, all the other airports around the world, they would separate those according to distance, according to the wake vortex categories that each aircraft is in. Uh, We now separate in terms of time. So when we have a a stronger headwind, the distance will actually reduce. When there's a very calm wind conditions, the uh, separation will actually increase over what we used to have. Um, so on a strong wind day, that's reduced delays uh, by about 50% due to wind. And uh, on, the, uh, on the calm days, we actually see a reduction in the uh, wake vortex encounters that, that you and your colleagues might, might experience. Now, that's brilliant. But I understand you're becoming even more sophisticated and not just using weight categories. Yeah, so in the future, we're going to move to something called pairwise separation. So rather than dividing each aircraft or uh, the, a group of aircraft into one of five categories, we'll actually specifically uh, nominate a separation to be used for that discrete aircraft pair. So, for example, a A330 followed by a 320 might be 3.2 miles, a 330 followed by a 321 might be 3.1 miles, that sort of thing. Now, would I be right in saying this is world-leading technology? Uh, it is. We're the only airport using it at the moment. Uh, a lot of other airports are, are looking at it and, and starting to develop the tools, but we're the only one using it at the moment. That's fantastic. And I must admit, I do appreciate the benefit of uh, less holding time on uh, bad weather conditions as we come over the pond. Okay, I'm heading across the garden here to my lovely wife. She's done an awful lot of work to prepare the house today. Hi, darling. Hello. Uh, (laughs) uh, Liz is here. Have you noticed? I have, actually, strangely, yes. You're very clear, very astute. So uh, a word to say, perhaps uh, looking forward to tomorrow at Wimbledon? We certainly are. I've just got the uh, the schedule for the day. We will see Venus Williams, Rafa Nadal and Johanna Conta. So, Oh, my good. Lord. It's going to be good. You girls are going to be happy. Because the whole point of Liz coming over here has been to enjoy a bit of Wimbledon. So Nev's just swapped places. Last time I recorded this, only a few minutes ago, he was the other end of the table. But here he is, our very own Nev Tech man, who I must admit disappointed me enormously by not bringing his audio equipment and using his own interview skills to do this. Nev, any comments on my ineptitude? 
It's uh, what I would expect, actually, Nick, but uh, notwithstanding that, thank you very much indeed for inviting us to your lovely house. Yeah, enough of that. Thanks very much. <laughs> and, um, yeah, brilliant weather today, absolutely spot on. And, uh, yeah, it's, um, hopefully it will continue for the next week or so. It looks, looks set fair. And uh, we've had some great food and drinks, so thanks ever so much. Oh, you're very welcome. Any comments on your recent addition to the Plain Talking UK? podcast yes i'm i was very surprised and very flattered that the guys wanted me to take part in the show uh, i just hope i can live up to their high production value expectations well i must admit matt does a great job and i'm sure you and he are f- going to be a fantastic combination yeah, I think so. And uh, no, I really enjoy uh, my contributions uh, that I've been doing. And um, yeah, I, th- I think it's going to be a, a nice nice team of people to work with. Now, beside him is his ever-suffering, long-suffering wife, Sue. Um, so Nev is going to spend even more time in his dungeon. Any comments, Sue? Well, on a Friday night, it means I can watch as much trash telly as I like. And I know I'm not going to get interrupted, so I see that as a bonus, really. Absolutely right. But how about the scantily clad ladies that are going down to join him in his studio? Well, I don't know about that. I'm, you know, I, th- I think possibly we're, we're going to have to have a password system. As it is, I have to knock on the door when I go into his studio. I know, it's terrible, isn't it? It's, I'm surprised there isn't a sign-up that says, keep out. But uh, yeah, good point. A safe word would also probably keep your marriage going a bit longer. Um, Marvellous. Any final comments, Nev? Yeah, I'm going to be buying some signs uh, for my studio very shortly, and I will be choosing what they say. <laughs> <laughs> good for you. OK, I'm just wandering past, Liz. I'm going to Stuart Asley, who you will remember was the man who had the idea of getting the whole of the APG over to Farnborough. Stuart, you've had some changes in your life. Not only that, your wife has turned into a small black Labrador. Any comments there? <laughs> what a gorgeous dog. <laughs> Hi everyone, it's great to be here. Thanks for inviting us, Nick and Jilly. And uh, I do hope the coffee fund has recovered from Farnborough. And uh, I must say, what a pleasure to meet Liz, all the way from Canada. Absolutely lovely. It is super. Now, you've had some important changes in your life. Tell us what's been going on. I have, yeah. So for the last 20 years, thereabouts, I was uh, a paramedic. And I feel like I'd done my time and it was time for a change. So... I've joined the rail industry, so I'm not going to be controlling any aircraft anytime soon, but hopefully some trains. And um, yeah, I've been really busy with the, the training courses and getting my head around a new industry. That's really the main reason I haven't been in touch, sending any feedback recently. But I have been listening to every show and thoroughly enjoying every single one of them. So thanks for all you do, Jeff, and all the guys. It's, it's brilliant. Brilliant. Absolutely. Hope this new job keeps you on track. Now, uh Louise here is the fabulous uh, husband of uh, Adam Spink. Now, she is another controller, so we've got a... Sorry? Oh, did I say husband? Uh, There you go, that's a bottle of wine for you. Um, Wife of the lovely... uh, Actually, I think that depends who wears the trousers in your house. Yeah, so it probably is the husband, actually. <laughs> and there you go. Uh, okay. Now, come on. Uh, spill the beans on Farnborough during the air show. What's it like? 
Yeah, it's, it's good fun. It's a pretty dynamic couple of weeks. Um, lots of different aircraft coming in, um, lots of different nationalities. And yeah, it's just really good fun to do something that's a bit different to the, the everyday. Any professional jealousy in your marriage? Um, I think because our jobs are so different, uh, I think we managed to keep it fairly separate. <laughs> so no pulling of rank? Um, it's probably more me than him, actually. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm delighted to hear that everything is fine in the Spink household. So uh, we were talking about Farnborough earlier and uh, the technology in the visual control room. It's uh, pretty swept up, so I hear. Yeah, we're still quite quite basic, still paper strips, but, but that's good um, in some respects. If it, you know, It's a, a lot more difficult for paper strips to go wrong than... Uh, electronic ones and uh, you can still throw them at each other <laughs> that i would love to see now uh here's a young man i just want to interview for a second uh who's this young fella this is an aviation geek in the making this is young alfie my boy he's three are you going to say hello alfie say hello apparently not but uh his mum's here just with a few words. Come on, Alfie, have a word with your mum. Say hi, Nick. Hi, hi Nick, how are you? <laughs> <laughs> I'm good. What does Alfie say? He's not interested He's today. Done He's done a runner. Okay, quick word. Thank you very much for having us. We've had a lovely day. Um, it's nice to meet a few new faces. And Alfie settled in, finally, on his scooter. <laughs> And he's, uh, I don't know if he's going to be a budding APG uh, presenter soon. He just seems a little reticent. But the important, oh, there they go. We've got a visiting dog here, the lovely Labrador that Adam uh, owns. And uh, Rugger has decided that he needs a bit talking to. But the important person here today is, of course, Liz Piper, who has trolled all the way across from uh, Toronto in her awful Boeing. What was it like, Liz? Disappointingly for you, Nick, it was quite lovely. Ah, <laughs> oh, damn. Uh, so, uh, quite lovely in a Dreamliner. It was. It was quiet. It was spacious. It was a pretty new plane. It was less than two years old, so it, was, it didn't go tech. You'll be glad to know. I'm, I don't think they last much longer than that, so Liz. Um, but uh, then you spend the night in the Radisson Hotel, which overlooks Heathrow. What's that like? Oh, yeah. It was the Renaissance, and it, I had a runway view room, and... 27 right was right in front of my room so I could watch lots of I think they were on arrivals at that time they hadn't changed over yet but saw some fantastic 380s 340s a 350 am I naming all the Airbuses I think oh, you're there, doing a great job there was the odd Boeing there but we didn't really pay any attention to that no, they rarely make the runway they usually they just end up around. in a big hole just short um, so uh, the big reason for you being here is to uh, head off to a tennis competition tomorrow is that right Absolutely. Your fantastic wife, Jilly, and I are going to Wimbledon tomorrow. Woohoo! And she just showed me the lineup. We're going to see Raphael Nadal, which is pretty exciting. I believe Venus Williams and I, oh, Joanna Conta, your local um, favorite. So yeah, we're going to Wimbledon tomorrow and it looks like the weather across our fingers is going to be fantastic. 
Brilliant. Okay. Anyway, we're delighted to have you here in the UK. So, from uh, the APG headquarters here in Liz, good, it's goodbye from Liz. Bye, everybody. Very well done. And that's the way you normally sound on recordings of APG. <laughs> no, I don't. I, I, I must admit, it was well into the afternoon by the time we got the uh, recorder out. So uh, uh, we'd had uh, we'd had lovely uh, champagne to start with. We'd gone on to the PIMS. So we had... Uh, um, we had jugs of Pims, and then the, uh, the lovely local brewery in uh, Steph's Growler. Uh, I filled that up with uh, beer from our local brewery, oh, nice. and we were serving that. And then we had wine with the steak, uh, and um, it, <laughs> so I was speaking a little bit blurred by then. I was seeing a bit blurred as you well. Know, my that was one of the most enjoyable things that I consumed while I was at Farnborough last july oh. uh that was the pims uh that was that was a nice refreshing beverage adult beverage uh, oh it is uh, we found some uh, strawberry and mint flavored pims uh, which went down very well indeed so i must ask uh nav i'm i'm watching you on twitter and he uh tweeted uh, a photo of the the way to watch apg and it looks like he he's eating something i can't tell exactly what it is though he'll he'll have to tell us Nev's in the chat room. Anyway, it looks like uh, Dane is still, uh, well, he's back with us. At least we see his video. And uh, he's still muted. So let's see if we can hear anything from Dana. Can you guys hear me now? Yeah. Yes. Excellent. Well, your, your, your video on my end is a whole lot clearer now, too. Now they reset everything. Okay. Still a little bit of a, um, you know, hiccuping here and there. So if you'll, uh, at that bandwidth uh, thing, if you want to uh, kind of lower it a little bit and that way your audio will probably improve. And that's really the thing we care most about is the audio because you're about to tell us some interesting um, events that occurred in the last few days. Yeah, well, I uh, came home from my uh, last round trip last week, and I get a frantic call on my uh, a message on my cell phone, and it was uh, the uh, crew health folks saying we need to talk to you immediately as soon as you get this message. Please call us. We have to talk about something. Of course, then you wonder, uh, thanks. Well, what's going on? And so I called them back, and I had to go through customs. So I said, you know, I'll have to talk to you in about 20 minutes. Will you still be around? Because it's 5.30 in the afternoon on Friday afternoon. They said, yes, we'll be waiting here to talk to you. So needless to say, I go through customs, and they tell me uh, when I get them on the phone that uh, I have been exposed to a, uh, a, uh, a disease called Legion Airs disease. I think I mentioned uh, way back uh, three weeks ago now that I had that overnight in Memphis where I had the airplane that had a, a mechanical issue. Well, they put us in the uh, short overnight hotel, which was a newly established hotel and also a new hotel, uh, only open about six or seven months. Um, so no pilots had ever stayed there before and no pilots have stayed there since. And unfortunately, when I was uh, partaking in a little react afternoon relaxation and sitting in the pool and, and enjoying uh, some really nice sunshine, and then went over to the jacuzzi and sat in the jacuzzi to relax some of the muscles, um, apparently that was uh, a mistake on, on my part because uh, that 
facility has been on a splash all over the news in the Memphis area, especially that uh, Legionnaire's disease has been uh, has been attributed to three cases from the hotel. So I've definitely been exposed. Whether I absolutely actually have the disease has yet to be remain uh, to be decided because I'm waiting for the test results. Uh, however, I do have an upper respiratory or respiratory infection in my lungs. I spent a good part of the day on Saturday in the hospital getting tested and treated and so forth and so on. So, unfortunately, I'm on all types of medications that prevent me from uh, doing my job in a safe manner, so I will not be uh, attending work this week. But uh, it's been an unbelievable month between Baltimore with the uh, with the street exploding and then, of course, now this, uh, this uh, pathogen that I've been exposed to. Um, it's been... Less than a fun month in the uh, flying world. And as people may be able to hear, my voice is a little crackly beyond the internet. <clears throat> yeah, I can imagine uh, <laughs> it's been it's been trying. It's been tough for us to watch you go through everything you've gone through. And we're all hoping that, uh, you know, you do not have the pathogen in, in you. And uh, and if you do, I, I guess you said it, they, they have a, a protocol that will take care of it pretty uh pretty well well the, the, yeah the treatment is exactly the same for an, a respiratory infection as it is would be for the the, the legionnaire's disease basically it's a uh, a form of pneumonia and uh, it's the same treatment protocol uh, it's going to be anti-inflammatory uh, medication uh, steroids um, and in, in, inhalator and in, inhalate uh, what's that thing called not an inhaler i've got that too but in, it's a um a, a um, liquid machine that it, it, it nebulizes. That's it. Nebulizes. Ah. Uh, nebulizes the, and so I can breathe that in. So I can breathe a lot better. Um, but the the moral story is is that you know I, it's a hundred percent recovery. There's even if I did get the pathogen, um, it's not going to be a long term effect. So I'm very fortunate for that. And you know, just goes to show you that you know. <laughs> It's all not always fun and games and glamorous. You know, you try and enjoy the overnight, and lo and behold, you end up with uh, with some strange disease. Thank God it's not you know down in Africa someplace getting stung by a mosquito that's gonna you know, change my life forever. So, you know, I feel very fortunate in that regard, and, and uh, you know, I'll be okay. Just uh, just still a little short of breath, and it's um, it will it will work its way out. So, I'm well, just happy to take your medicine. And get some rest. And I am. I, yeah, I've done. I've done nothing this holiday weekend. Good. In fact, <laughs> we when, when I, I mentioned that I, I thought that uh, doing a feedback extra might be uh, kind of a fun thing to do. I uh, wasn't really expecting anybody else to join me, but fortunately, um, both uh, both Nick and Dana said, "Yeah, uh, I'm I'm up for it." And then uh, when we got everything going. Um, you know, Dana wasn't there. And so I, I kind of sent him a text and said, what are you going to join us? And he goes, Oh, sorry. I was, I was asleep on the couch. I'll be right there. <laughs> so you are definitely relaxing and taking it easy. And trying, we're glad to hear that. Very, very much trying to, I mean, I, I, you know, I got a call from the, uh, uh, that's from chief pilot and, and I say, you know, I really want to come to work tomorrow. And he says, man, are you contagious? I said, no. He says, I, do, you, do you still feel not so good? I said, I feel great. I just have this little cough. He says, stay home. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now, is, is, uh, it's not a, it's not a, um, contagious kind of thing, is it? It, it, it is actually have done. Uh-oh. 
research. Think of the ant. Is so you know with me. Uh oh. Okay. Yeah. Um. So what we gathered from that last sentence or two is that it is that it is contagious or not. It's not. Contagious. Okay. Good. Very good. It's not. It's not directly contagious. Okay. So just no French so, kissing of uh, your captains. Yeah, I prefer not. Um, <laughs> okay. I'm sure you know, if it gets me, sure if it gets me, if <laughs> what'd you say, Nick? <laughs> I'm sure they feel the same way. <laughs> sure By the way, do. just just from here uh, over the pond, mate. I I do wish you well, uh, and I I don't mean to. Uh, um, to contradict you, but uh, Legionnaire's disease has killed an awful lot of people. So you take real care of yourself and uh, don't uh, do not do anything that might put you at risk. So uh, just rest up and get yourself 100% fit because we need you. Yeah. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. And uh, as I said, I'm, 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 I'm hopeful that, that, you know, I've been exposed, but it, it's, uh, I guess, the magic numbers if you're over 50, like, some other people were talking to that, that that would make you more likely to actually contract a disease that you can get exposed. But uh, you, the likelihood at my age and my, my health that is, is I may have been exposed, but my body uh, reacted, but I may have not contracted the actual disease. So I'm hoping for that. Yeah. We all are. So thank you though. I appreciate it. (laughs) Captain L has a special, um, uh, message for you. Uh, hey, Dana, take care. You're not having the best of months. I mean, having to stay on the MD instead of upgrading to the A320, what could be worse? <laughs> Thank you. Oh, oh, no. Now we're listening to Dana expire in the background. <laughs> All right. Let's see. Let's get on with uh, the uh, only, well, I was going to say the best part of the show, but on this one, it's pretty much the only part of the show. So here we go. I'll play this little stinger. Captain, incoming message. All right. We're going to start with uh, some uh, feedback from Steve. I think this is uh, Steve Horn. Let me just double check here. Yep, Steve Horn, the guy that I met up with uh, last week um, when he was on layover, on a layover here in Atlanta. And he said that he was going, he's uh, somehow he stumbled upon this video, which was actually uploaded on February of 2012. Uh, but apparently this airline, which I don't even, I've never heard of before, and it may not even exist anymore. Uh, Air File Express uh, operating, uh, speaking of Airbuses, uh, Captain Al, uh, landing in some place in the Philippines, I believe. I'm not sure exactly. Uh, but uh, a little bit of audio from this. You really need to watch the uh, video to really get the full effect. But we're just going to play a little bit of this audio and listen to the comment by the person taking the video toward the end after they have slid off the end of the runway. Nice landing. Okay, here we are in Barakai. Bye-bye. Okay, so he just mentioned where they are. Maybe it's Indonesia somewhere. But uh, they they slid off the end of the runway, and the thing comes to a stop, an abrupt stop after it leaves the prepared surface. And he goes, nice landing. (laughs) And some some nervous laughter in the background. So uh, Yeah, I... (laughs) 
I couldn't believe it when I watched that for the first time. Uh, they they landed, yeah, they landed deep, but it's obviously not a huge runway. And uh, when I saw the uh, the touchdown markers for what you'd normally uh, use on the approach end, where this is now at the far end of the runway, when they disappeared under the wings, I went, that's interesting. And then I saw the piano keys go under the wings, and I'm thinking, well, I, I hope there's a long overrun <laughs> on this runway. There wasn't. Nope. <laughs> it was just grass. <laughs> Lots of grass, but hey, it did the oh. trick, right? It stopped the airplane. <laughs> oh, dear. Now, I've just uh, gone on the internet, and uh, they're called Airfill Ex- Express. Uh, so I think there's. Oh, Airfill Express. Okay. Yeah. I saw the well, P H I L E. changed their name a little bit. I don't know. Uh, and they are actually uh, IATA accredited. So, oh, oh there you they're go. still around? So they still seem to be in existence despite their tendency to use every inch of the runway plus a bit okay well interesting excellent okay uh moving on let's see joe sent us uh something here um apg crew interesting article regarding notams hits exactly on the points discussed a few episodes ago and uh, of course he sent this in on may 24th so it was several episodes ago that we discussed uh, notams and uh, the title of this story, this is from medium.com, uh, MH17, that was the uh, airplane that was shot down over Ukraine, A Darker Truth uh, by Mark Z. And uh, again, that's from medium.com. The Malaysia 17 story has been told, but beneath the knotted narratives of the accepted version of events, well woven in the three years since the Boeing was brought into an afternoon cornfield in Ukraine, lies a simpler, darker truth. As industry experts, we're, we've comforted ourselves knowing that nobody considered that civil aircraft at cruising altitude were at risk. And this is from the Dutch Safety Board report. When fingers were pointed at Malaysia Airlines for overflying a war zone, we were quick to tell the public, not fair. Everybody did or else did the same as well. We were all apparently operating under the same misguided reassurance that this was a war, that this was a war going on underneath the airways. And that cruising at 33,000 feet over the top of it would be just fine. As an airline pilot at the time, I did the same as everyone else using the eastern Ukraine routes and monitored the conflict beneath us with interest on each flight, but without concern. But what if we could have known? What if the risk information was actually there, but for some reason we weren't seeing it? Well, it was. And then he goes on to talk about the international NOTAM system and... Let's see. He has a uh, some graphics here. Again, you'll uh, we'll put a link to this story in the uh, show notes. Very interesting. Um, and he uh, he shows a NOTAM, and he said you might have spotted that they look uh, a little coded. Yeah, no, that, that's a uh, understatement when it comes to NOTAMs. You might think that this is because computers process the information wrong. Unfortunately, this is a format primarily intended to be read by humans, pilots, and it's awful. We can work with the date time groups and the abbreviations CLSD for closed isn't so bad. RWY for runway isn't too hard on the brain, but let's look at this one. And then he has a, an example of a, a very complicated NOTAM. And he says, on a routine post-Soviet Eastern Bloc overflight, I will see tens, maybe hundreds of tempo-restricted areas in my 2030, maybe 50-page NOTAM briefing. Russia is very fond of them, and as are many Eastern European countries. 
I don't plot the coordinates of them, and I trust that air traffic control will keep me out of anywhere I shouldn't be. I would discard it with a glance and move on to the next one. But wait, this notice was was on board MH17. This was the warning from the Ukraine authorities that something was going on that MH17 crew should know about. It was published on the Monday, three days before MH17 was shot down, and it was published only because on that Monday at 9 o'clock in the morning, an aircraft at flight level 210 had been shot down. To the pilot, to the dispatcher, to the crew of MH17, it's indecipherable. It looks the same as every other routine TRA. So, and it goes on. And I, I really do recommend that you reme- uh, read the remainder of this particular um, uh, column or a story because it, it, it's interesting that the the fact that there was there were some red flags there, but because of our antiquated and inadequate NOTAM system, uh, they weren't noticed, and and everybody was just operating uh, business as usual over those routes, including Acme, including Acme Red. Yeah. In so, fact, there were a number of international airlines uh, had pe- been over that piece of airspace uh, minutes before and continued after. Uh, no one uh, really uh, had any appreciation of just how dangerous it was. No, they don't. They didn't. So um, anything to add on that, uh, Dana? No. Okay. <laughs> Good. <laughs> So we can move on to the next one then. Again, uh, this is, uh, you know, we've talked, we've had um, you know, stories and, and feedback regarding NOTAMs before on the show and how they really do need to do something about them to make them more legible and cut down on some of these extraneous uh, NOTAMs they put out there that uh, really are uh, something that we shouldn't have to slog through or slog through um, on every flight uh, because they, you know, like they, they talk about, you know, signage that's not exactly standard and all these, you know, lights that we really don't care about. Uh, but I guess legally they're required to put these things and post these things. I guess it's probably, you know, something that they, uh, if they don't, then somebody could sue them because they didn't say or tell us that, uh, that light bulb was out, you know, in this, on a certain taxiway, but, uh, it just kind of gets, mixed in with everything else. And, uh, the important ones such as this one that was trying to warn, um, airlines that they probably shouldn't be flying over this war zone uh they get they get missed or overlooked yeah i mean in today's um, modern communications this uh, the, the system they use for writing them uh this gentleman is quite right goes way back beyond the invention of ascii i think as a uh, as a type and um it 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 just is one, it's almost indecipherable, and two, there is very, very little uh, separation from the insignificant from the vitally important, uh, not even as something as simple as, say, a traffic light system, color coding, uh, the ones that pi- all pilots should really uh, pay attention to, and the ones that really only apply if uh, you've got the time or if you're doing something really detailed a detailed examination of a new airport you've never been to before and we're trying to work out which taxiways might have a an odd um, corner that's a bit sharp or a bit bit that's closed for some work in progress that sort of thing uh, so just bundling it all together into these vast um it's a plethora of no times. And the guy's right, uh, 50, 60, 70, uh, usually um, double side printed uh, and usually around, um, the, you know, 
print size eight, a tiny print, and it's just a mass of uh, of uh, code. And uh, trying to get through it all in the little time we have to flight prep is uh, quite honestly a physical impossibility. And by the time you're finished with your 10, 12 hour flight, uh, you may have gotten actually through the whole thing. <laughs> well, <laughs> no, actually, we're supposed to do it before we start flying, right? Well, yeah, in theory. Yeah. Yep. And of course, you know, when you have a, a long international flight, you, you have a little bit of extra prep time, but not much uh, in comparison to our, you know, 35, 40 minutes, you know, we're turn, doing a turnaround in a domestic flight, which you still have to go through all those uh, NOTAMs that are not written for human beings. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, you know what? I really not. The thing that I rely upon, and I think most of us do, is that when we pick up the automatic ter- terminal information service, the ATIS uh, broadcast whether it be digital or audio, you you hope that the really, really important items like this runway is closed or something to that effect are going to be reflected on the ATIS and that uh, that uh, that will keep you out of trouble in most cases. Uh, but uh, something needs to be done. And we've been, you know, we've been screaming about it for years and we're hoping that, uh, you know, they'll they'll do something about it in the future. Okay. Nice. Hey, in, um, Sean McHale, I met with him, um, and let's see, a couple of weeks ago in Tampa, and he sent this in. Uh, while it's been a busy, busy week for bird strikes, and he has a couple uh, links to stories about bird strikes, how about something a bit more unusual, like an alligator strike? And then he has this link to uh, news965.com, um, must be out of Orlando. It looks like an alligator hit by plane at Orlando Executive Airport. A local pilot hit an 11-foot alligator, which was crossing runway 725 at or- Orlando Executive Airport, K-O-R-L. I was told that the pilot was flying a Navajo, and the gator jumped up and struck the wing during his landing. Now, do gators actually jump? Huh. Anyway. Uh, I, I've seen them jump in Australia. Oh. I mean, I, I've been on one of those... Um, um, you know, a boat trip down an alligator-infested river, and the guy would hang um, bits of meat uh, from a fishing pole out over the uh, water, and these alligators would come out of the water, and they'd be standing vertically upwards. Uh, they're just their back feet that would be the bit that was in. So uh, those tails are pretty powerful, and they can flip them. Wow! Uh, and force themselves well out of the water. Yeah, I had no idea. Uh-huh. Either today. Well. Uh, the gator was killed instantly, and the aircraft sustained damage to the wing. One of the craziest things I've ever seen in all my years of aviation. Welcome to Florida, folks, and <laughs> America. And uh, let's see, there's a picture here, and we'll put a link to this article in the show notes uh, that Sean sent us, and it shows uh, this guy, I don't know who this guy is, but he's out there in front of, uh, or right on the center line, uh, and there's a very, very large alligator, a dead alligator, uh, on the center line, so watch well, out, we, folks. We all trust it's dead, and then it's not just uh, asleep and very angry. <laughs> yeah, I hope so. Yeah, I'd be running very, very quickly. Although I think that the alligator would probably win that race. <laughs> oh boy! Um, I'm amazed that uh, he, he didn't uh, really come through the wing and uh, spin his aircraft off the runway because that's a big chunk of meat that alligator is huge that is and a navajo i mean it's not a small airplane but it's still not like an airliner um yeah, it's, it's not no. a big, yeah not an overly heavy airplane no you don't no. need a tape for 
And looking looking at that uh, alligator, that looks like a heavy animal. Yeah. Yes. Oh. oh well. Okay. Well, um, let's continue uh, moving on. Steve Horn, uh, the guy that does the "How I Got Here" um, uh, audio uh, pieces, uh, sent us in some audio, but it has nothing to do with how I got here. It has something to do with an, uh, a a um, subject that we were discussing regarding um, maximum duty day extensions and that kind of thing. So let's uh, take a listen. Hi, Jeff and APG crew. It's uh, Captain Steve over here at Acme Jr. I'm just listening to, uh, I think it's episode 275, and you guys are discussing fatigue and uh, extensions, etc. Um, little thing, uh, I think it was Mark was the... Uh, the crew scheduler that was asking about um, calling in fatigued versus accepting an extension. And uh, you guys are exactly right. At the regional level, we are getting pushed right up to the limit sometimes and six legs a day. I just did three legs and was on duty or blocked well over seven and a half hours. Um, But it was hardly fatiguing as blocking seven and a half hours having five or six legs um, the the workload and the ability to handle the longer legs versus the multiple shorter legs for the same amount of duty time and the same amount of flight time is drastically different and yeah over here we we accept an extension or we call in fatigue and it's kind of interesting that uh, they're like, okay, well, you're fatigued. I'm like, well, not now, but by the end of this flight segment or the end of this round trip, I'm going to be fatigued. I just know it based on what I've had going on. It's, it's an interesting discussion to have. But one thing I've noticed, part of the regulation requires any extension to be unforeseen extension. Um, and so I've, I've noticed that they work with us a whole lot better to the point of removing you from the round trip or taking a flight off of your schedule or something like that preemptively. If you call them and say, hey, I'm looking at the times that we have remaining and I'm looking at the time of duty that we have remaining and we're going to require an extension later on down the road. And now, all of a sudden, that extension is no longer an unforeseen extension, and they're required to do something about it. Um, so that's one one little trick that I found. If I see an issue arising, I'll call them up on that, and they usually take care of it. Um, I, I can't think of a time recently that they haven't, where they'll pull us off a trip or change up our schedule to fit it within the duty times and uh, make it much, much more manageable. So just a, just a couple thoughts on that. Okay, thank you, Steve, for your thoughts on that. And as we suspected, uh, things are, and as the uh, scheduler from Acme Junior, Mark, uh, wrote in and started this whole discussion, uh, suspected that things are a little bit different from the regional world to the uh, mainline world. And uh, and Dana had mentioned uh, several of those points, and he was as you, he was listening to your feedback, he was uh, giving the big thumbs up and clapping in the background. <laughs> I sure was. It's good to it's good to know that the, what some of the information I put out there, not all of it, some of it is actually right on the money. Hey, our accuracy rating now, I think, is at least fifty percent. So, you know, you're welcome. <laughs> 
if you want more accuracy, well, there are plenty of aviation podcasts out there that uh, have that for you. Yeah, we'll just point you at our manuals. You can go read them for yourselves. Yeah, that's what I used to do as an instructor pilot. You know, the student would ask a question about something. I go, well, hmm, let's get your manual out. What does what does the manual say? exactly and i think they were on to me uh he uh, he has no idea okay that's not true of course i was a united states air force instructor pilot fully trained and uh you know knew everything that was uh, that needed to be known something jeff (laughs) really it was full of gas uh yes now, how much can you guys actually uh extend i mean what does your your commander's discretion give you I think two hours, right? Two hours. Two hours. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's the same here. Um, can you use it from your home base? This is a quiz, you know. Oh, I mean like if you were scheduled to um, get to your base at a certain time and then they extend you beyond? Uh, if you're due to get airborne from your base and you know that uh, your flight is going to go beyond uh, your flight duty period, can you uh, get airborne anyway if it's your home base? I don't think there's any that make a lot of difference to you. If you're if you're within your two hour limit, and you're going to land and be off duty within that two hours, then then they automatically assume you're going to take it. All um, right. If if not, you have to call the company and let them know that you're going to uh, refuse it and and you know not going to be able to fly it due to fatigue. Uh, the uh, so that's the assumption. Now, if it's going to go over that two hour extension, which is the max duty day allowed by the federal by the FAA, then you are not allowed to, to take off. We have what's called a latest allowable takeoff time. And if we do not meet that time, then we, we turn into pumpkins and have to go back to the gate. Yeah, fair enough. Okay. We're the same. We uh, have a two-hour. Uh, it can go to three if you're in an augmented crew. So if we've got an extra pilot there that is there to give us rest, we can possibly up go up to three. But uh, there's all sorts of uh, requirements for us to consider. So we should... Uh, always avoid using it from home base or when uh, crew members are available on standby. That should never uh, be a requirement then. Uh, the other things we're supposed to look into account are the window of circadian low. So whether you're going to be operating during a period when uh, you would normally be trying to sleep. Uh, the weather conditions. So you've got a complex weather system to try and get through or something difficult at your destination. That would be a consideration. Complexity of the operation and the airports are go- going somewhere particularly difficult, say high altitude that requires extra uh, thought and calculation. Um, If you're flying, uh, doing training or supervisory duties, that would come into it. Uh, If you've got an increased number of sectors, if you've had circadian disruption and or the individual condition of effective crew members since uh, awake time, sleep-related factors, workload. And what's more, we're supposed to uh, check with every crew member on the aircraft and ask them if they feel they're fit to have their duty time extended. Wow. That's a lot more detail than we're, <laughs> that yeah. we're given or considerations uh, for us. Um, yeah. well. James, James was asking, define flight duty period. And basically... It's the uh, scheduled time that you are to complete all your flights in the day, uh, starting with uh, one hour prior to your first departure. And that may change, I think, for international. But for domestic, it's one hour prior. So let's say the first flight you're going to fly is 7 o'clock in the morning. The flight duty period begins 
at six o'clock in the morning and then it extends to let's say you're scheduled to land at uh, five o'clock um, uh, that afternoon on your last flight and then a half an hour added to that is that the correct uh, definition of flight duty period uh, J- um, Dana yes okay and then extending uh, beyond that, uh, a certain amount is allowed, as we talked about, uh, the two hours. And our company just automatically assumes that we're going to extend. Um, but um, anyway. Uh, oh, and then Neville uh, asks if deadheading for our first flight is, or to our first flight is considered as part of your flight duty period. Now, if you're talking about a scheduled deadhead uh, on, you know, that, that the company says, okay, we're going to have you guys start in um, Richmond, Virginia. And, uh, of course, you're based in Atlanta, so that's where your your trip actually begins. If it's a scheduled deadhead that the company is making you fly from Atlanta to Richmond, yes, it is included in the flight duty period. If it, you're talking about, on the other hand, um, somebody commuting to work, and they have to be, let's say, at they, the sign-in time is at noon, and they deadhead not deadhead. We wouldn't call that a deadhead. We would call that a commute, a commuting flight, a jump seat or whatever to get to your base uh, before your sign-in time. Uh, and that is not included in your flight duty period. And I think, although I'm not a commuter, so I can easily say this, I think it should be because, you know, it is taking energy and, um, uh, you know, even though you're riding as a passenger, uh, it's you know what's the difference between that and a, a scheduled deadhead on your on your schedule? What, what do you think about that, Dana? Well, you know, and I was going to say that that was a huge factor uh, in that Colgan air crash in Buffalo. I believe the girl, the first officer, I guess it really doesn't matter if she's a girl. Uh, the first officer had commuted in, I believe, from Seattle. Yes, and uh, had had no sleep the night before, and then she flew. I forget whether it was five four or five, maybe even six legs that day. And that was the final leg. And I, I, I forget the captain, what his deal was, but he also had very limited sleep. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm on the other side of the aisle on that, Jeff. Uh, it, it's an option not to live in base. I, I agree with you that it, it certainly is fatiguing. It, it t- takes a lot out of you to have to worry about trying to get to the airport and get to work and you know, make sure you have enough flights at, uh, scheduled to get you to work in case one cancels, et cetera. There's all these other ramifications, but, uh, you know, that it's a choice and, and it's a lifestyle choice. So it does, it does play into it. Certainly. Uh, I absolutely agree, but, um, you know, that's basically telling everybody that, you know, you, you have to live in base or, or telling the company they have to accommodate your decision to not live in base. And uh, I don't know that 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 one would ever fly, although I do agree with the rest issue. Yeah, I I was just kind of surprised that there wasn't something regarding that uh, in the legislation, uh, you know, from the outcome of the uh, Colgan 3407. Um, Well, we've got something in the UK uh, EASA regulations that uh, say that uh, we should consider making arrangements for temporary accommodation close to uh, their home base if the traveling time from their residence uh, exceeds 105 minutes. Okay. So in theory, if you uh, have got a long commute, you're supposed to uh, find some way to rest, uh, then having commuted before you then pitch up uh, for work to make sure you're fully fit. And our positioning rules are such that uh, 
if we do a positioning flight to go somewhere uh, and get on an airplane to operate, um, that uh, when we report for the positioning flight, that's when our flight duty period begins. But that positioning flight does not count as an extra sector when you're calculating your duty period. Okay. Wow. Excellent. Okay. Yeah. I, you know, I see both sides of the whole, you know, commuting to work kind of story uh, and whether it should be included in the flight duty period. But um, I don't know. I, I just think that uh, I, I like the verbiage that uh, Nick just read as far as his company's policy, although it's not a, it doesn't sound like it's a binding um, kind of thing. It's just you should be considering, right? Is that what it said? Something like that? Well, that's right. Yeah. But uh, I think if uh, you should be considering it, if, if you have an incident, you can to your bottom dollar <laughs> yeah the regulators will be considering it very hard so if you intend to break that regularly then i think you'll find yourself on a hiding to nothing if you ever have an incident and are investigated right okay excellent and, and, and jeff you know to to the point of uh, the whole Colgan air crash and, and the changes and one of the things that that they did change is our, our flight release uh, remember, it just used to be the captain signing the flight release. Now it's both the captain and the first officer that you've reviewed your fitness for duty. Yeah. So you're really having to self-certify that you have uh, met all rest requirements prior to being, you know, arriving at work, that you feel rested, that you're fix- physically and mentally fit to be able to perform your duties as, as uh, you know, a pilot in, in either seat. So, you know, you, you have to consider that piece of paper that you're signing as as a uh, you know a legal document that if you are for whatever reason not physically and mentally able rested to to do your job then you shouldn't be signing that. That's right. Yeah. Good point. Good point. You know that's that's self evaluation. If you if you decide to get up at four o'clock in the morning and you know you pull pull Dallas for example because get a lot of commuters catch that early six a.m. flight. A 5 a.m. flight, excuse me. So you're getting up at, you know, 2.30, 3 o'clock in the morning, heading to work, and then you get a 1 o'clock show, and then you're up until, you know, 1 o'clock in the morning East Coast time. You know, that's a very long day. You probably come in the day before, but a lot of guys and girls choose not to do that. Right, right. So, yeah, you're right. We're, when you sign that release, you're basically hanging it out there, and it's always kind of a, a tough thing for me, the one that says I'm mentally fit to, to operate. But. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And we won't even talk about Legionnaires' disease. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I took 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 a good talking about a lot of different people for me not to go to work. But then again, I, if if I would have been signing that piece of paper tomorrow to go fly, I think that would probably have been the wrong idea. So, so we so we have a uh, we have a, a sick leave um, balance of uh, of time that uh, we are allotted per year. And uh, I was asking Dana, so, you know, is this, he said something about, you know, staying home from this next trip. So the trip he doesn't fly, it, the the value of the trip is deducted from his sick leave um, balance. And I'm thinking, are they going to, you know, require that you use, you know, your, your sick leave balance? And I was kind of surprised that they just didn't, you know, drop the trip and, and just make it, um, you know, compensate you for the trip, but not actually make you use your sick leave balance because it wasn't really your fault that uh, you were exposed to. No, I have to, to agree. I mean, it was the company that put him in this hotel. It's hardly his fault that uh, the hotel turned out to have this uh, this pathogen hanging around. Right. 
Well, yeah, I am going to address, uh, find out more answers because as you can imagine, going into a holiday weekend at 5.30 in the afternoon, just yeah. <laughs> getting the news and then going through customs and trying to call people today with the, everybody pretty much being off that I need to talk to. I, I will definitely be addressing that on Wednesday to find out more information. Yeah, because I talked to Alpha too. Yeah. See what they have to say yeah, about yeah, it. Exactly. I'm talking, I'm going to talk to, uh, to, several different people. So I'll address yeah. it. I, you know, I don't like using my sick time. I hardly ever do call in sick unless I'm really very sick. Um, and in this case, I ought not to be flying. So I'm not going to be. There you go. Just one quick Whether one from the, uh, from the chat room. Captain Al would like to know if the uh, FAA would ever outlaw commuting in the U S say more than 90 minutes commuting. I mean, I can't see that happening. What do you reckon? I don't think so. I can't, I can't see it either. Um, I mean, the, I don't they, think the so entire airline industry in the U.S. would just grind, grind <laughs> to a halt. <laughs> a lot of commuters out there, that's for sure. Um, Pip uh, said something via direct message in Twitter. If you're listening, Pip, uh, he asked if it was okay for him to send in some audio feedback. And I say, well, let's see. Let's Let's take a vote. I say no. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yes. No, hang on a minute. Well, I was going to say no, too. Oh, okay. And what about you, Dana? I, I was going to be the nice guy in the panel. Okay. He says yes. Uh, let me reconsider. I say yes. Okay. okay. Yeah, why not? Go on. So send it to um, feedback. Send it to plane taking, talking UK. <laughs> PTUK. <laughs> uh, yeah, so send it to uh, feedback at airlinepilotguy.com and then send me a note and let me know that you've sent it and then we'll uh, we'll play it. How about that for an interactive podcast? Well, very good, Jeff. In the meantime, we're going to talk, uh, we're going to discuss this piece of feedback sent in by Ross in England. I remember Jeff was talking about single-engine taxiing and wondering if Nick could tell us what happens in a four-engine airplane. And a single uh, is a single-engine taxiing approach still done? If so, which engine is used and why? Uh, or is it alternated to balance where? Thanks, guys. Captain Nick. Well, the practicalities of trying to taxi a four-engine airplane around on one engine, uh, actually, no, that, that, that's not done. Uh, <laughs> you would have to uh, motor that one engine at such a high uh, power setting to get the damn thing moving. You're going to be blowing most of the ground crew, half the terminals over, every vehicle you go past is going get a blast <laughs> no no so uh on a twin engine airplane you go on one engine on a four engine airplane you generally go on two engines although we do have a three engine taxi so you only shut down one uh, no generally uh we would shut down two uh and the uh, preferred two are the two inners we shut down so we taxi on the two outers uh that's really just uh, because uh, the outers uh, give more support and electrics and hydraulics to the aircraft systems. Um, so uh, uh, we can taxi on the inners if, uh, and the, the times we do that would be if there were, um, you know, significant snow banks around that might uh, ingest chunks of ice in the engine, or if we were taxiing on a narrow taxiway where the grass on uh, the out, outer portion of the tail beyond the taxiway is uh, unprepared and full of rubbish. I was going to say something else there, but uh, full of rubbish that we, we might get ingested. That's when we would 
consider taxing on the inner engines. But there are a few more considerations if we do that as to what equipment we need to have serviceable to make sure we've got sufficient backups. Because after all, when you're only taxing with half the engines going, uh, you literally have half the hydraulics and half the electrics available and some systems won't be operating until you get all four engines going. So that's the simple answer. And uh, when you're on uh, uh, a reduced engine taxi out, uh, as we do, we're not allowed to taxi across uh, runways that are in in use. So if we have to cross uh, a runway to get to where we're going to take off, for example, if, they, if they're landing on that runway, then we're not allowed to practice or use a reduced engine taxi. So the, Because it just takes a while to accelerate and get across, and obviously uh, you're going to inconvenience that traffic if it takes you an age to creep across a taxiway, uh, sorry, a runway. Um, whereas uh, if you've got a long taxi out uh, and you're in a big queue, it doesn't really matter if you're a bit slow to accelerate. Right. Excellent. Is well, that, Is that similar for you, Jeff, uh, crossing active runways? Do you we, you allowed to do that on one? We are allowed to do it. Uh, we uh, are advised that we take it uh, into consideration leaving uh, both engines running uh, to expedite runway crossing. But uh, it's it's basically captain's discretion. And, you know, one of the things that I as a captain look at is, okay, you know, how heavy are we? You know, are we close to our max landing weight? Or are we pretty light? You know, in that case, I might say, you know, we're, or if I'm not anticipating actually coming to a complete stop uh, before we cross an active runway, I may say, yeah, let's go ahead and, you know, shut down number two because yeah, we use number one, uh, the left engine for taxiing around during single engine taxi operations. Uh, but, uh, you know, it, it, it's just de- dependent upon the captain's discretion and, uh, you know, what do you think is the, the safest thing to do, um, balancing that with uh, fuel consumption? And you guys taxi out as well as taxiing back uh, on one engine? Yes. Okay. Yeah, doing that for, yeah. One of the interesting things, though, is that uh, if we start all four engines and then taxi out and then realize we've got a huge queue in front of us, and at some airports that happens because you you don't get an accurate indication of your taxi time from the ramp controller. You really got to have asked the ground controller. Um, we can't then revert to a reduced engine taxi. It's oh. it's just an anomaly in the system uh, on the onboard our aircraft. Whether other aircraft can do it, I don't know. I'm sure they probably can, but on ours, once you elected to start all four, you can't then reduce it to two. Uh, you can actually shut them all four down and sit there with no engines running for a while if you're given a, a long hold. Um, but uh, you can't actually then go back to two and then back to four again, which is a bit. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, with our, uh, of course, you know, granted the, uh, the pterodactyl that we're flying <laughs> is a little bit different situation. And we uh, sometimes will start both engines thinking that we're going to get right on out. And then they say, okay, we have a expect departure uh, clearance time or uh you know a wheels up time and then we decide whether we want to shut down just you know bring it only uh, to one engine operating or sometimes if it's going to be a long period of time that we're going to be sitting on a taxiway waiting for our wheels up time we'll shut down both um so that's the way it works for us but you know there's no problem with uh starting one or or even taxiing on either engine um single engine taxi although the thing that as a captain you have to remember is that for whatever reason you decide to start the number two or the right engine that you actually use the throttle uh, the correct throttle to push up because otherwise you don't go very far 
I've done that a, a couple times. <laughs> it's like, uh, is there is there a problem if you open up the throttle on an engine that's not running? Then do you squirt fuel into it? Or no, something? no, no. Oh, okay, yeah, because that, that's fine for us. Now, Mike has also asked a question: How long does it take from the time you start the inners to the time they come up to speed? Well, uh, the thing we need to do is to get the core of the engine up to a a stable, uh, normal operating temperature. Mica, so there's no thermal stress put on the blades when uh, we go to full power. That's the important factor. On my aircraft, it's five minutes. Uh, in reality, you um, have got so many checks to do after you've started those last two engines. We probably need seven or eight minutes at least because uh, we, even when you get those two inner engines going um you've then got to do your full control checks both of you have to do those and then you have to run through the full uh, before takeoff checklist and that can take a wee while particularly if you've got some uh, considerations some extra considerations going on so uh, i prefer to leave uh, you know seven to ten minutes uh, but you know um you can do it quickly but if you try and uh, do it too quickly then you'll get all sorts of warnings when uh, you try and uh, take off because the oil temperatures will be too low and the uh start cycle on those big engines is probably what two or three minutes uh to, yeah, to actually yeah. yeah actually the 330 is worse than the 340 uh, the 340s engines wind up reasonably quickly the 330s they're, they're you know quite big uh, fans on those they they take considerably longer to get going and we can only start one at a time on the 330 whereas on the 340 once we've got one engine motoring at 10 percent the uh, n1 we can sorry n3 we can uh, then start the other one we've got enough puff from the apu to be able to start two engines simultaneously is it uh jim howard um asks do you start all four at the gate typically uh, once we've done pushback, uh, yeah, we do an assessment of the taxi time. And uh, if we reckon we're going to go straight out and launch, then, yeah, we, we, we would start all four. But uh, if we think that the taxi time is going to be uh, delayed at all, then we would definitely consider reduced engine taxi just to give ourselves uh, a bit of extra gas, uh, perhaps, and to cut down the cost of operating the flight. Here's, here's an interesting question for you, Nick. What's uh, your fuel burn difference between the four and two engines per hour? Uh, that is a good question. I should ask someone that. Um, <laughs> Somebody that knows. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, uh, let me think. Uh, well, uh, I'm just going to look. think just off the top of my head and go the usual taxi fuel for about a 20 to 30 minute taxi is about 0.9 of a ton. So uh, you're probably going to, save uh, three or 400 kilograms. Uh, however, you have to keep the APU burning when you're on only two engines, so that's not going to be quite as good as you hoped, and you generally have to use those uh, two remaining engines a little more. Normally, when we taxi out, we wouldn't we very rarely bring the engines above idle. We just leave the throttles closed. There's enough residual thrust to get the aircraft moving. Um, if you judge your uh, momentum well, uh, you can usually get around the whole airport. Uh, without touching the throttles and every time you have to bring those throttles up of course it it eats into your taxi fuel so um yeah i would say three or four hundred kgs would be a, a saving on a on a reasonably long taxi well and i think i, I led you down the primrose path because what i was really actually trying to look for was you know when your crew at cruise 
and you have, uh, you know, you're cruising along at, you know, 35,000 feet and you're flying at 330, how much of a difference is there on the fuel burn 330 versus having the four engines on the 340? Well, the 340 is uh, about uh, nine tons an hour. And okay. uh, a 330 is going to be about four tons an hour at it, off the top of my head. I'd, uh, I'd have to do, do and check those figures. Okay. Now that That's a significant difference. Okay. Okay. Cool. Any other technical questions? I'm actually going to look them up. I'll, I'll come back and correct myself in a little while. They'll be in our errata uh, section of the to. next show. It's a Saturday and I'm not at work, so I don't have to remember those numbers. On a, oh, it's, 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 a Saturday, it's a Monday, isn't it? Yeah, it's a Monday, but it and feels I'm like Saturday. On, I'm still not at work. Yeah. So. But I think uh, you should just Google it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, good idea. Someone Google it for me. Uh, looks like uh, Pip's not going to send in his uh, his audio feedback, and he needs advice from Dana for some reason. So uh, look for that uh, contact by uh, Pilot Pip. Dana? I don't see that. I see. Oh, I need Dana's advice, though. Okay. Pilot Pip, anytime. All right. Uh, let's move on. We have some audio feedback from Stefan uh, regarding uh, episode 274. He was listening to that, talking about the Qantas Flight 72, the untold story of QF-72. That was the incident where the, uh, I think it was a 330, wasn't it, that um, uh, encountered some odd control behavior? Yes, it was, Jeff. Uh, and uh, he said, I wonder if you ever... Uh, in detail mentioned the A320 flight in 2014 of my company uh, where two AOA sensors froze up in flight and put the aircraft in an uncommanded descent. Not as dramatic, totally different reason, but similar to flight QF-72. So he said he sent in some audio feedback. If we'd like to play it, he said, please pardon um, my strong German accent. And uh, so so we'll uh, take a listen, see how bad it is. I'm sure we'll be able to hear it understand you, Stefan, so take it away. Hi, APG team. Here's a topic that might be pouring oil in the old Airbus weather's Boeing battle. Listening to episode 274 and hearing talking you about the Qantas Flight 72, I wonder if you ever in detail mentioned the A320 flight in 2014 of my comedy from Bilbao to Frankfurt, where two angle of attack sensors frozen up in flight and put the aircraft in an uncommanded descent. Not as dramatic and for a totally different reason, but similar to flight Qantas 7-2. It also gives you a good insight in the Airbus flight control protection system. Here what happened. It was the first flight of the day for that aircraft. During the night and the departure, it was raining very heavily. Uh, by the way, that's not uncommon for that area in Spain. The first officer was the pilot flying. Takeoff was 7.48 in the morning. The aircraft became clear of clouds and flightable 200. It was daylight. Eight minutes after takeoff, unknowingly to the crew, the angle of attack sensor number one froze at 4.2 degrees angle of attack. One minute later, the sensor number two froze at 4.6 angle of attack. The angle of attack sensor number three was okay, but later during the incident rejected by the flight argumentation computer as it was considered the faulty one out of three sensors. The two others 
Ones must be right, the computer assumed. The aircraft continued to climb. The crew noticed an unusual increasing red alpha protection band in the speed scale creeping up from below. Climbing through flight over 310, the first officer selected and reduced the vertical speed in order to lower the nose and let the aircraft accelerate away from the red band. Shortly after that, he even switched off the autopilot to provide a more assertive control input. But after this short nose-down input, the aircraft reduced the pitch further by its own and started to descend, even though the FO provided meanwhile a nose-up stick input. He mentioned his limited control to captain, and he then took over control. In the meantime, the nose pitch went down to minus 3.5, and the vertical speed decreased to 4,000 feet per minute descent. The captain pulled his stick full aft and was finally able to stop the descent at flight level 270, and was able to maintain that altitude with a two-third aft stick input. Well... What has happened with the flight controls? With increasing altitude and a constant indicated airspeed, the Mach number increases. With increasing Mach number, the max possible angle of attack of the wing decreases. But since here the angle, and angle of attack indicator was stuck at approximately 4.5 degrees, uh, the control computer assumed the aircraft was slowly approaching a stall even though the actual angle of attack was only a bit more than one degrees. The A320 stall protection has two levels, the alpha prot and the alpha max. The alpha prot is the max possible angle of attack the autopilot can fly or the pilots without activating protection. If the crew wants to fly a higher angle of attack, it has to provide a continuous stick input. Alpha max is the max possible angle of attack a pilot can steer with max aft stick input. When the first officer switched off the autopilot, the measured or the wrongly measured angle of attack indicator uh, was uh, a bit more, or to be precise, 0.3 degrees above alpha pot. And when the autopilot is switched off above those alpha pot in normal law, the flight controls will execute right away the stall protection and will lower the nose. After the 4,000 feet descent, the crew was able to stabilize the aircraft at flight level 270 while maintaining an continuous aft stick input. So they were flying between the alpha pot and the alpha max, always uh, regarding this level as uh, angle of attack. The uh, crew actions were later rated by the air by Airbus better than the average crew by taking a systematic approach. By first, securing and establishing a safe flight path, consulting the pitch and power table that the speed and altitude were correct, consulting the QIH for a procedure, which didn't help, consulting the QIH priority setting any flight control computer, which didn't help either, and consulting maintenance for help. For maintenance, they got the recommendation to switch off one faulty angle of attack sensor by switching off one air data reference unit. Now, after switching off air data reference unit number two to be precise, the flight augmentation computers rejected the other faulty angle of attack sensor by directly comparing it to the healthy sensor number three. 
And later, at the final stage during the flight, the crew were even able to switch on the autopilot again and land safely at the destination. I know, this incident will sure heat up the battle versus Airbus versus Boeing. And uh, also the Airbus versus the Boeing protections. Yes, Boeing have protections too. Uh, me as a pilot who has flown both types, I feel very comfortable in an Airbus or a Boeing. I feel not comfortable in the way the manufacturers sometimes provide the pilots with information. I think it's not good, an example, that there is no indication for the pilots to show him when the protections become active. Yes, there's a stall warning, but no warning to show an active protection. Or in the case of the newest Airbus, the A350, I think the manufacturer does not provide the pilots with an adequate pitch and power table, because apparently you will not need them. The system is so smart, it will always provide you with a speed indication. Even if you lose all four pitots, the computer will still calculate the aircraft speed by using the engine data, like EPR, fan speed, everything. Anyhow, keep up with your show. It's a great way to educate non-pilots and pilots as well. Greetings from Stefan from Hamburg. Stefan, thank you so much for that. That was very good. And your accent was not difficult to understand at all, for me at least. Um, no, I, that was a that was an excellent explanation of that incident because it's not the easiest one to understand. So I think you did a great job there, Stefan. Yeah. So um, absolutely. And um, I like the fact that uh, the crew, um, you know, got high marks for you know methodically analyzing the situation and going through step by step and uh, you know trying to figure out what was going on and i agree i think that uh when when you're flying an airplane that has protections it would be nice to know in, in some way that uh, the airplane is uh, executing or using those protections uh, that might be helpful uh, absolutely i mean at the moment what we have to do is uh, analyze uh, data that's missing from our flight displays or the way the aircraft is reacting to our control inputs to work out uh, if a uh, protection is active uh, and uh, it would be really nice uh, if uh, it would come up and tell us i think that'd be useful uh, he came up with uh, other uh, good comments uh, as well about uh, the things that uh, airbus should consider uh, during their, uh, you know, when they're doing this. Uh, and I think it's a very valid um, comment concerning uh, the way the Airbus logic has been written in that uh, it possibly has a little bit too much input from the engineering side and perhaps not enough from the pilot side. Now, I know they have some extremely capable uh, um Airbus test pilots. In fact, one of my great friends uh, was their chief test pilot, and uh, he's not a man to uh, be influenced. Uh, but uh, you know, he's not in charge of the final say on how the airplanes are designed. But uh, let's not forget that Airbus were the first aircraft to have a go at producing a full fly-by-wire airliner. So uh, they were on a fairly steep learning curve when they uh, designed all this. And since they build their aircraft to a family design, all the ones following are going to be similar. Uh, certainly the 350, though, I think you'll find is a technological leap uh, forward. 
Uh, so I think that'll be a lot more sophisticated. Uh, however, uh, I always think it's nice to have those fallback tables of the most basic and simple thing a pilot can do if he's unsure of his uh, speed is to have a power and attitude because we all know uh, from our very most basic flying lessons that if we get stuck, if we put the aircraft in a certain attitude and apply a certain power, the speed will settle at something that will be acceptable. And that's uh, I think that's an important thing for every pilot to know. It's great to hang your hat on if you're unsure what information is being given to you uh, on your flight displays. Yep. Control performance. Um, and so even, so if you're flying that A350 and you don't have those tables, well, just pay attention to what the airplane's doing and what power settings it's using and what pitch picture you're looking at at various phases of flight. And at least you'll have something to use uh, ballpark, you know. Uh, Absolutely. And something that we have commented uh, and agreed on before, uh, Jeff, is that uh, angle of attack readout to the pilots, I think, is a vital um, piece of data that is, generally speaking, missing from most airliners. And in this case, if they've been able to reference the angle of attack readout from each of their angle of attack sensors, the, there are three of them, uh, they would have been able to tell as they were moving the aircraft that two were not moving. Only one of them was indicating, and from the power and attitude, they would easily be able to suss which two were frozen and uh, not behaving correctly, which one was giving the correct information, and they could have isolated those two frozen ones uh, quite simply. But because we don't have that basic information, we're having to go back to an even more crude estimation of uh, just setting a power level and setting an attitude and, and then trying to work it all out from there. Yeah, and, and that's and that's the key. I mean, you've got to be able to be able to aviate first, put the airplane in a steady state that you're familiar with, and uh, and just fly the airplane, and then try to figure out the problem. I mean, that's the number one thing they always teach us is always fly the airplane first. So, one of the immediate action items that we have is to put the aircraft in a specific pitch and power setting, and that way we can troubleshoot the issue and and try to isolate what 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 we have going on. And I absolutely agree that an angle of attack sensor would be a fantastic way to avoid most of these, these uh, scenarios. And, you know, Jennifer brings up a very good point too. I mean, you know, we've got all these computers and all this computerization in the, in the, in the flight deck. And now, uh, you know, the, 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 even the thought of taking human beings out of the flight deck and allowing computers to fly the aircraft without us, without a, a human input, it, it just sounds crazy because it takes human thought to get through all this. How would a computer handle a, handle all, you know, the, the pitot tubes or the angle attack sensors being non, non, you know, not working? I mean, well, as, yeah, it wouldn't be able to handle it. We've, we've already seen examples of that. Yeah. You know, that exactly. uh, it, so. it gets to a certain point that it goes, okay, I'm confused. I don't understand what's happening here or, or even worse, I understand what's happening here, and I'm taking this action, and it happens to be the wrong action. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, yeah. luckily, you know, humans are there uh, to intervene. And uh, I, as I, I've said before, I, I don't see a day where uh, we're flying passengers around on these big airplanes without at least one human pilot on board to kind of be there as a an emergency stopgap. No, that's exactly right. So I thought that was uh, one of the best feedbacks we've had for a long time, Stefan. Thanks. Yeah, very good. Um, let's see. Well, you know what? Since Dana is with us, um, both 
physically present with us right now and the fact that he's still alive because we don't really don't know you know what what will happen with him uh, with this whole legionnaires yeah, disease he may not be here next week so maybe we should uh, take advantage of this and uh start and <laughs> go to this piece of feedback from john you know we're kidding dan um I know. i'm not well <laughs> <laughs> all right i oh, really yeah no. well I, I just finished a marathon bout of APG syndrome. Oh, we have to blow that. APG syndrome. APG syndrome. APG syndrome. And for those of you who are not uh, familiar with the with the syndrome, uh, head over to airlinepilotguy.com slash APG syndrome. I think I think I set up a web page to do that. Uh, let me just check here. <laughs> I don't want to steer you wrong. Let's see. Airline. This is great, isn't it? Great podcasting right here. While I type in something in my browser. APG syndrome. And uh, yeah, we do. We have a special page for that. Um, I put here, if you have reached this page, it is most likely... Because you have been diagnosed with APG syndrome, the sickness that afflicts so many innocent people, we would like to express our sincere condolences. At present, there are known, no known remedies for your affliction. It is our sincere hope that, we, that you will not alienate yourself from your friends and family, but if you persist in ruining your relationships, know that we here at the APG are here for you. So... Oh, I need, to, I need to update that. I, I didn't uh, include uh, Dana on that. Sorry. That's no, okay. Well, um, yeah, I wouldn't. I would wait a week or two. Oh, that's true. Yes, yeah, so I, I don't want to do any extra work. <laughs> anyway, and of course, APG syndrome. I should also put in there what the definition of APG syndrome is for those of you who are new to the show. If you start listening to the show, and right now we're on two seventy eight point five, and you decide you want to listen to every single episode that we have, that is APG syndrome. Now, most <clears throat> normal people. Uh, would just go, well, maybe I'll listen to a few here and there, but I think you'd have to be sort of crazy to to go back all the way from episode number one. And um, we agree. <laughs> I, I don't know, Jeff, I really enjoyed it. When I when I went back to and started from the beginning, I, I thought it was a, a thoroughly fascinating journey through through your life and the uh, the sort of uh, how APG evolved. Yeah, well, I guess that there's that. Uh, of course, you did it when we there were a lot fewer episodes, right? Yes, <laughs> <laughs> that's true. That was probably about 150 to get through. Yeah, that's still a huge amount. But uh, okay, so so you're not crazy, but uh, many people uh, share this affliction, uh, John. So anyway, getting back with his uh, feedback, um, he said 33 episodes in just over two weeks time. Wow. I'm all caught up, but I have to say that being in remission uh, in the case of APG syndrome may be worse than the condition itself. I now have to wait a whole week for a new episode. What will I do with all that free time? I figured I'd start with some feedback. So here it is. First, I have to credit you as an influence on my recent decision to pursue a career as a professional pilot. It's always been a dream of mine. But it was your show and your positive encouragement of other 30-somethings like me to go for it that helped turn a dream into a real commitment. Thanks. Well, that's great. Let's That deserves some applause there, I think. All right. Good luck with that. So 
on a uh, on that note, as a private pilot with no military flying experience, I would be interested to hear more about Dana's story of how he got to where he is. He's alluded to some of the flying jobs he had before going to the regionals and knowing that I may follow a similar path. I think hearing his version of how I got here would provide some great insight. Thanks again for a great show and wishing you all the best. Talons, Douglas. John just west of O'Hare. So he sent that in um, not too long ago, just last week, actually. So uh, Dana, he wants to hear how you got here. All right. So I went over to his bubble gum machine at the local supermarket. I put a quarter in there and out it spit out, you know, little plastic containers that had pot license in there. So, yeah, that's how I got there. No, oh. I'm only kidding. <laughs> You know, John, to be honest with you, uh, I've always wanted to be a pilot ever since I was a knee-high to a grasshopper uh, going down the road with a little metal airplane hanging out the window of my hand holding it in the wind. And uh, that's where it all began for me. And, and uh, you know, there are a lot of years that I wish I was flying and I didn't have the financial means to finish everything up. And it was uh, the year, lean years after uh, um, the Reagan administration had left and the Clinton administration had come in. So I did try the military route, and the military route didn't work simply because they just were not hiring pilots. They were actually trying to um, disband the military pilot uh, pilots because they had too many of them. So uh, that route was shut down for me. So I, I, I applaud you because, uh, you know, there are a lot of us now that are here at the uh, – the mainline level that have gone through the civilian route. And it wasn't uh, too long ago that uh, the, the military was a, a de facto in, in getting hired at a major. A lot of military people uh, were hired uh, over civilian for, for a very long time. <clears throat> so how I actually made it happen, um, it was through a lot of hard work, perseverance, and uh, dedication to the, something I absolutely loved and always wanted to do. And, and, and if you have that desire, then there's really nothing that's going to get in your way. I've done, uh, I've done a lot in the business. I, I've worked in customer service in every level at uh, Acme Airlines. I worked at a regional prior to Acme called Business Express Airlines. I built my resume, and uh, during that whole entire time, I was uh, going to college, working four jobs, actually, going to college for aviation management, and studied uh, studied uh, how to run the business and learned the business from that aspect, and then uh, got married, thank God. Uh, I've got a fantastic wife that was has been very supportive for better part of 25 years since we've been together. She uh, enabled and, and, and encouraged me to to pursue my dream and, and do what I want to do. And and uh, with her with her backing, I was able to go ahead and finish my. Uh, at, when I graduated from college, one of the requir- requirements from college for the aviation program is that you have to have your private pilot license to graduate. So I did have that, but I was unable to finish uh, the rest of it for financial restraints. And then once I was uh, married, my wife uh, with, with her encouragement, I finished up my, uh, my instrument, my commercial, and then I, I got my multi, then, you know, CFI, double I, and uh, worked my way up that way. And a lot of the things that I did, in addition to me working full-time, I flew parachute jumpers, which, truth be told, was actually one of my favorite jobs I've ever had in my life. 
just think about a whole bunch of crazy people looking to go up and have a good time and jump out of a perfectly good airplane, just like Dr. Steph does on a regular basis. Uh, it doesn't make sense to me, but I'll tell you what, hanging around with those uh, guys and girls, it was a fun bunch, and, and it wasn't work to me. And I would actually quite literally fly in between 15 to 18 jumps a day. That's a lot. Pardon me one second. I had to clear my throat. Uh, so anyways, um, I did that. I flight instructed part-time on the side. I also owned my own aircraft. I, fortunately, I had worked my way up in the, uh, in the airline to make enough money to purchase my own aircraft. So I did flight instructing with my uh, uh, then partner on the aircraft, wor- worked his way through, uh, worked him up through his instrument in, in his commercial. Um, and so I built a lot of time that way. So, uh, I was an airport. I don't want to use the word. Um, um, I, well, okay. I use, I was an airport whore. <laughs> I was at the airport all the time and, uh, you know, offering to, to, to flight instruct anybody that wanted a BFR, you know, looking at notices on the, on the board, anybody that, you know, had an airplane that wanted somebody to go fly with them. And so in, in truth be told, I think I have time in over, 30 different types of aircraft. So um, a lot of experience there. So built my time up. Now it's a little more difficult nowadays with the, uh, with the FAA requirements for the ATP because you can't get hired now on, if you're just flying uh, uh, either freight dogging or, uh, you know, flying checks, which I don't think is prevalent anymore. Not as, as it used to be Um, towing, you know, doing my banner towing or flying parachute jumps. If you do that, you know, if, if you work that route of CFI, um, then it's going to be 1,500 hours. But if you do an ab initial program, such as uh, either uh, all ATPs or uh, one of these professional training programs, I think it's waived down to 1,250 hours, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken. And then if you went through a college program like at Riddle, it's down to 1,000. Um, but all that being said, um, I, I can I can I, I, I've got a lot of friends that are still on the regional side of things, um, and they are hurting big time. Uh, so as soon as you can get your time built up, um, you're probably looking at a very good, reasonable chance of, of landing a, a, a job in probably numerous job offers. I was just uh, down with an old buddy of mine. His wife had. Uh, left the uh, aviation business for 15, 17 years. She's been out of the aviation. She, she went to school. That's where they met in uh, college. And they were, uh, were both going down the aviation flying route. And she decides to be a stay-at-home mom for several years, which I applaud her for that. And now she's ready to get back in the business. She hasn't flown an airplane uh, regularly in 10 years. And she just became, you know, went back to become a flight instructor got back into it and now she has three job offers. So it just goes to show you that that you know the jobs are out there and if you put your you know your your feet to the road and work hard and that's exactly my you know my story is I just worked hard I stayed uh, true to flying flew as much as I possibly could whenever I possibly could and uh, I I got hired to regionals and well you know know the rest of the story. So I I think uh, if you have any questions, that you know, any more questions or, or want any specific guidance, I certainly, you know, feel free to, to send a message back to the show. Contact me directly. I'm certainly willing to share more more advice or, or thoughts with you. Um, 
but uh, keep keep your feet to the road and, and, and you'll get there. So you, you mentioned um, that, you know, some people are still with the regionals and they're really hurting over there. That reminds me of uh, a news item that uh, Micah sent, main man Micah sent us just a few days ago. Um, the headline, Horizon Air cutting hundreds of flights this summer due to pilot shortage. And uh, the regional airline that is part of Alaska Air Group carrying passengers on shorter flights throughout the Pacific, Northwest, and beyond is cutting its flight schedule this summer because of a severe shortage of pilots for its Q400 turboprop airplanes. And uh, the shortage became a crisis this past month when Horizon was forced to cancel more than 318 flights because it didn't have enough pilots to fly all of its planes. And I, I, they uh, mentioned in a um, little bit further into this article about the fact that it was kind of a perfect storm. At the same time, they were losing pilots at a pretty good clip. They were also um, bringing in new airplanes, <laughs> so increasing their fleet size. So they uh, actually, uh, several of their destinations where they have a, a high flight frequency, they uh, ended up uh, pairing some of those uh, those flights to uh, manage their schedule. So uh, it's a real thing, this pilot shortage thing. And uh, I just wanted to mention that. Thank you, Micah, for sending that in. Uh, but uh, you know, just to kind of confirm what uh, Dana just mentioned, his friends over in the uh, regional airlines, that this is a really big deal. And um, obviously they need pilots. And, you know, somebody like you, John, who is looking to become one, uh, I think this is good timing on your part. And uh we hope my the best question. Way. My only question would be is I don't think it said in there, but you know, I think he if he's in his uh you know, mid thirties or you know, even up in his low forties I uh, think he's know, in, the chance of an Yeah. It, I'm sorry, Jeff. I th- I think he said he was like thirty something. Yeah. You know, the, the the career expectations at that age is is, is incredible. I mean I I didn't get onto the regional. I, I actually didn't fly, start flying for the regionals until I was 32 years old. Did not get hired at the major. Fortunately, uh, I was hired when I was, but uh, was was uh, very lucky. I was 37 when I got hired at the major. So uh, nowadays, that that numbers even at the majors has has dropped significantly. Much uh, lower age group getting hired now because of the you know the quick uh, turnaround from the regionals and, and the military. So um, they've they've got uh, I know one one regional in particular they've got uh, they've got classes that they have out there that you know they have you know supposed to have ten or twelve people in, in the class and they only have three or four people showing up so and that's somebody that I know directly that works for an Acme Junior Regional and uh, you know some of them are, are faring better than others because you know the flow throughs or other programs that they're offering so it makes a difference but there's there's a lot of jobs out there and in Alpa Alpa has been saying all along it's not necessarily that there's a pilot shortage as much as it's a pay issue and uh, I would agree with that to a certain extent but certainly you know when you don't have that many startups for uh, new pilots and, and how much it costs nowadays to become a a pilot those are, those are some major <clears> factors <throat> I mean you're looking even if you go through uh, something like all ATPs, not that I'm plugging them. I'm just using that as an example. And I see ads in, in the Alpha magazine for, you know, from, from start to finish for just about $80,000 to get all your ratings. And that all it does is get you, get you all your ratings. It doesn't even get you the job yet. So that's a big expense to bite off on the hopes that you get to fly for, for a regional making $35,000 a year in right. hopes of, of getting to the majors. So um, that's, I think that's the bigger problem. 
And regarding the uh, here in the U.S., the uh, the uh, ATP hourly hour yeah. requirements uh, fifteen hundred is the standard, and then a, t- a qualified two year college uh, with an aviation degree and an aviation program uh, twelve hundred and fifty hours. If it's a qualified four year uh, degree program, then it's down to a thousand and uh, seven hundred and fifty uh, if you're coming from the military. Uh, I believe yep. I have that right. Um, speaking of. Um, we're kind of focusing on Dana right now. Uh, we did receive that uh, feedback from Pip, and it says, feedback for Dana. He says, I hope the quality is okay, recorded with an iPhone and no mic. So let's uh, let's see let's see how bad this is. This is from Pilot Pip. <laughs> Can't be any worse than my voice right now. <laughs> Hi, gang. Hope you're all well. It's Pip here with a couple of questions, uh, mainly for Dana. I need his expertise as a as a flight instructor. Uh, now, Dana, as you may or may not be aware, I'm coming across to Florida next month, August, on a family trip to uh, Disney. Woo! Space Mountain! Uh, but while I'm there, I'm really hoping that I'm going to be able to get the chance to go and rent a light aircraft, a Cessna 172 or something, and go and do some flying and see the lovely state of Florida. Now, the problem is, it's been quite some time since... Um, since A, I flew a single-engine uh, aircraft, it's probably been, gosh, at least 12 years, and B, it's been even longer since I flew for pleasure in the States, more like 17 years. Um, now, what I need, I don't know if you're going to be able to help me here with the first question, Dana, but I need to find uh, a nice friendly club in Florida that will rent me an aircraft, do a checkout and rent me an aircraft. Uh, all the ones I've looked at online seem to be more geared up to commercial training and ATP training, and you've got to sign up and put down huge deposits, and, uh, you know, I can't be doing with that. What I want is just a nice, friendly, small club who will give me the training I need and let me on my merry way. So I don't know if you or anyone else listening can recommend uh, somewhere in the Orlando area. Kissimmee seems uh, pretty well located for me at Disney, but, you know... Um, Orlando Executive, other places like that. And then the other question, uh, which perhaps you can help me with, Dana, is as a flight instructor, what do you think I am going to need to do to prepare myself to get back into the saddle, as it were, for single-engine aircraft? Uh, Now, as I understand it, as it's been so long since I've flown single-engine, I'm going to need to do probably a a little bit of training, refresher training, and then a biannual check uh, to get my FAA ticket back up and and running again. So uh, is there like a book you can think of or maybe some sort of resource, an online resource um, that I can go to that's going to give me all the information that's going to point me in the direction that I need to go. It's going to, you know, uh, give me that knowledge that I need. Uh, you know, there are some differences between flying over there and over here. You know, you've got a lot of class B airspace. And uh, although, to be honest, it's not all that different. Uh, and if I remember rightly, it's actually extremely easy to, uh, to fly over there, GA. It's all good fun. So I don't know if you can help me that way. And also what... Can you think of anything specific that I should brush up on um, to get me through the biannual check? Anything specifically that I've probably got rusty on over the years? You know, my day job is flying commercially, flying the jets. So anything particular that, in your experience, airline guys tend to forget when they get back in the SEP saddle. 
So uh, any thoughts you've got, I'd really appreciate that. That'd be great. Uh, so guys, take care and see you all later. Bye. So what do you think, Dana? Well, um, that's that's a lot of a uh, lot of variables there. Uh, first off, uh, considering he's he is currently flying a uh, commercial aircraft, I'm assuming that he has a um, a medical. That that would be my first thought, and making sure that he has a current medical. Um, and as far as uh, what um, guys that fly big equipment tend to forget is that they're not moving nearly as fast over the ground. Uh, you know, when you're flying a uh, when you're flying a Cessna 172 Piper Warrior, you you'll be sitting there, and it seems like it takes three days to go from from time that you line up with the runway until the time you touch down, and then you tend to over rotate because your landing gear is nowhere near where as low as you as as it is on the uh, on the the 172 and the 150 or or uh, Piper Warrior, whatever you happen to be flying. Um, you know, as, as far as refresher goes, uh, what you're going to need in the BFR, you're going to have to show um, competence, and and and, uh, and I'm sure you're you're going to be very good with this, and that's going to be radio communications, airport operations. Yeah, Jeff's shaking his head no. <laughs> <laughs> if this is Pip we're talking about here. Okay, that's need to do a lot of chair flying, man. All right, and yeah, need to do a lot of chair flying. Get the Microsoft Flight Simulator and start with that. Uh, uh, <laughs> and Captain L says, "Remember to use rudder." <laughs> yes, he needs lots probably of good rudder. advice. The, the uh, torque and P factor. Um, so, anyways, uh, <clears throat> there are several excellent resources out there. Uh, you said in August. I, I don't know that you would have that much time to go through something like a Glime um syllabus but that you know gives you it might cost you a little money but they have uh the glime is what i use for uh, my cfi renewal and it pro- it's a pretty much a a uh, highlight of all the information that you need to know from a to z uh and it's an excellent resource um jefferson also has a product out there king uh, schools king air schools um they also have excellent resources uh, if you just want to pick up a uh, um, a um, a pilot test guide, a PTS, it's called a uh, PTS. I think it's called Practical Test Standards. Um, that is an excellent resource for private pilots. If you pick up the Practical Test Standards, it'll, it'll give you an idea what you're going to need to do on a BFR. Uh, your BFR will include uh, pattern work, going up and probably doing a few few approach. To landing stalls or departure stalls, uh, some f- slow flight MCA, minimal controllable airspeed, um, <clears throat> turns to headings and holding altitudes, and then uh, you know probably come back in for several touch and goes. You're probably looking at if you haven't flown a small general aviation aircraft in that long, I'm going to guess probably two, maybe three hours worth of. Uh, with a flying time just to get comfortable and get uh, familiar with the area as well. You are correct that flying around the United States is a whole lot easier than, well, from what I've heard, it's easier than flying over in the uh, European theater, especially, Uh, you know, the only problem you're faced with in the Orlando area is the class Bravo uh, with Orlando itself and navigating around that. And somebody writes here, I think it was, um, uh, well, Jim Howard has been very helpful in the chat room. Disney World has its own TFR. Don't enrage Mickey. 
<laughs> well, I guess you got a TFR to worry about there. Also, yeah, uh, sure. so you know, you mentioned Glime. I, I'd never heard of that, uh, and I did some uh, Google googling while you were talking Glime Aviation, uh, and they have some online courses, as you mentioned. Um, and also, Jim, thank you, uh, mentioned uh, this website called Open Airplane openairplane.com to find a an airplane to rent so that might be useful pip yeah and, and pip you know you, you hit hit it right on the head to kissemi um and or uh, um sanford is another one that's relatively close um beyond just uh, downtown you know orlando downtown um orlando downtown i don't think they're going to have very many uh and you got to be uh, wor- you got to wor- uh, watch out for the alligators at uh, orlando executive yeah. Um, and an executive so uh you know there's there's going to be some local operators there um as it and who was it that jim gave that information about? yeah jim yeah. howard <clears throat> yeah jim howard so that, that's some of the resources um uh that i can think of off the top of my head but uh yeah it's it's, it's going to take a little work on your part but um you know if you're currently flying it shouldn't be that bad excellent wow well, that was great. Thank you, Dana, for uh, kind of refreshing us on your history of how you got here. And um, I think that was some good advice for John, uh, who started this whole thing. Uh, John, again, uh, congratulations on uh, embarking on your new flying career. And we hope that you'll keep in touch with us and let us know how that's going. And uh, sorry about the APG syndrome. If we do come up with some kind of an uh, uh I wanted to say anecdote, but uh, we come up with anecdotes all the time. Antidotes, antidote. There we go. Uh, we'll we'll certainly uh, send you an email and let you know. Um, let's see. Anything else you guys want to say before we move on to the next? No. All right. Okay. No. Good. Let's uh, let's move on with uh, George Nolly. He has a, a great podcast, Ready for Takeoff podcast. And uh, he's been churning those things out. I don't know what episode he's on now, but uh, quite a few of them. And uh, he had some feedback for us. So let's take a listen to Mr. Nolly. Hi, this is George Nolly from uh, Ready for Takeoff podcast. A couple of things I wanted to mention. Uh, one is... Uh, regarding the airplane whose name is spelled D-A-S-S-A-U-L-T. Uh, I used to call it Dassault. Like, you know what I would say at the dinner table, pass me Dassault. But I was uh, working in flight safety, and I ran into some pilots who used to fly that brand, and they uh, told me that it's pronounced Dassault. You can't even hear the L, but definitely the T is silent, like the P in swimming. Regarding, uh, regarding, uh, doing S turns behind the 737, I think you'll find it interesting that the new 737 Max has beefed up the trailing edge of the wing, uh, to enhance bird strike protection. But the main reason I'm calling is I thought that, uh, Captain Nick's, uh, excellent treatment of, uh, the story of the Blackbird was it was just trend, uh, fantastic and our listeners might want to also hear the ready for takeoff podcast number 87 which is about an hour long it's an interview with the first human to ever fly the uh blackbird he was a test pilot named bob gilliland has a fascinating story and i think you'll enjoy it 
Anyway, this is George Nolly from Ready for Takeoff podcast. Well, George, I think that uh, we owe you one of these. Maybe a couple of these. For the very cute jokes about the uh, beefing up the trailing edge of the 737. I, I know that uh, Nick got a kick out of it. I saw him uh, in the in the background. Well, uh, setting up from the engines. <laughs> uh, let's see. Of course, well, we're not going to get into the 737. Um, <laughs> Good. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, so as, I, as he mentions, um, check out his show, uh, Ready for Takeoff. And he talks about, again, the um, SR-71. That's uh, Ready for Takeoff podcast number 87. Now, uh, let's see. When did George send this in to me? Not too, not too long ago. So it uh, should be pretty fresh. He probably has put out one or two since episode 87. But uh, I'm definitely going to have to go and find that if he interviewed that uh, the first pilot to fly. The yeah. That'd be brilliant. Well, you know, George is an excellent interviewer, and uh, I've been enjoying his show very much. So, All right. Uh, also, he's part of our Coffee Fun cadre, which we really Woo-hoo. appreciate. Yeah, And he sent me a very cool ready for takeoff uh t-shirt that um i enjoy wearing as being uh one of his subjects um on the show several episodes ago anyway uh let's move on to robert uh just when you just need that coffee fix he said uh, sometimes we canadians really need our timmy's coffee coffee and aviation in one story so the story that he uh, sent us a link to says pilot schooled on proper chopper use after touching down next to Tim Hortons. Um, this was um, in O'Leary. Uh, let's see. Prince Edward Island. I guess that's what PEI stands for. A Coast Guard helicopter pilot has been schooled on the appropriate use of the aircraft after touching down in a field near a Tim Hortons in Prince Edward Island for a coffee fix. The chopper landed in a barren field in the small island community on March 16th, prompting surprised onlookers to take a, a take to social media with comments about the unusual sighting and photos of the red aircraft whipping up puffs of snow as it set down. It also caught the attention of the commissioner, commissioner of the Canadian Coast Guard, who asked for an internal probe to determine if any unusual circumstances required the aircraft to land there. they needed coffee (laughs) it was a caffeine shortage Uh, it was an emergency (laughs) absolutely they obviously needed uh, to do something with the coffee fund (laughs) yes wow so uh there uh we'll send uh put a link to this in the uh, show notes and i believe in in the article itself uh there there is a uh social media video uh that's included and you can watch the airplane coming or the uh the helicopter landing and uh, next to the uh, the Tim Hortons, it was a drive-through, but apparently that they thought that was a little bit too risky. <laughs> I mean, it just goes to show how much uh, of the fun uh, social media has taken out of <laughs> a lot of the things we do in life. No kidding. I, I love the the last part. It also caught the attention of the commissioner, the Canadian Coast Guard. <laughs> I didn't want him to know about it or her to know about it. Ah, all right. Um, let's see. So that's uh, all the stuff that I uh, had left over from uh, the previous show. We were very, very um, optimistic about the number of uh, 
pieces of feedback we were going to be able to to, to address. Um, let's see, we've been going now for about two hours. Um, we could go ahead and stop at this point, or we could go into the big giant feedback folder and see if there's anything in there that uh, looks I'm interesting. Drowning in the big giant folder. I know it's huge. <laughs> <laughs> let's try and take skim the top off, Jeff. Okay, uh, so go the from the back from Wimbledon yet. So I've got another hour or so. Okay, uh, let's see. You doing okay, uh, Dana? I think he's still alive. He's just uh, muted yeah, I'm himself. I'm still here. I was okay. actually sent a type of PIP a message. One thing I did forget to mention okay. is the uh, TSA security requirements now for foreign pilots. Oh. Um, oh, I, and PIP's very foreign. He's got a weird name. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. I, I, I don't know what the current regulations are. I was starting to look them up, and mm-hmm. uh, but uh, I know on foreign pilots there's a lot of restrictions on them because everything that happened was september 11th it'll be uh it'll be very important for you to brush up on english pep um you know before you come over here just kidding i mean american uh, english and what i would do is any flight school that he decides to try to to go with the call them in in advance and see what the uh what the current uh current uh, book on that is as far as what he needs to bring with him what he needs to uh, declare if he has to pre-declare prior to coming to the states so he can fly so there's some some uh, major issues going on with that and i'll try to look it up as i sit here and listen to the show okay very good um multitasking captain dana there uh let's see i'm just quickly looking at some of the oldest uh, pieces of feedback uh anything before the first of April um, are gone. I'm sorry if uh, you sent us something in before that. As we we used to say, we 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 get to everybody's feedback, but we do read everything. Uh, we don't necessarily always respond to it, nor do we uh, always get to it on the show itself because it's just becoming it's it's become impossible to do. Uh, but um, let's see the uh, first one that I wanted to look up here was uh, one sent in by Steve Nicholson. He used the uh, the Airline Pilot Guy app to send us feedback. That's another good u- reason to have that app. Uh, it's very convenient. Uh, and he sent us a YouTube video, and I think this one is kind of aimed toward Agent Captain Nick. And uh, let's see here. Uh, he sent us a link to a video. So let me see. I'm going to pull up. The, uh, the echo button here so that uh, you guys can hear the video. HMS Eagle, a spearhead aircraft carrier of the Royal Navy equipped with Vixens and Buccaneers, became a floating test bed for the Navy's new plane. Together with the subsonic jets, already proven and successful, the supersonic Phantom lined up and prepared to go through its paces and gather data to enable Phantoms to be operated from HMS Arp Royal. Buccaneers led the way as the planes queued up to be catapult launched off the angle deck. Okay. <laughs> if you want to watch the whole video and you know just really rock to that uh, cool music, uh, which which I love, um, we'll put a link to the YouTube video in the show notes. And uh, basically, Steve says to you, Captain Nick, did you ever? Get to try any carrier takeoffs and or landings during your phantom flying days. Uh, on a side note, the voiceovers were so much cooler in those old videos. <laughs> this is from Louisiana Steve. Um, 
I would imagine uh, no, because uh, I'll let him answer, of course, but he was not in the Royal Navy, and I think the Royal Navy pilots are the ones that do that, right? Uh, you're quite right, although we did have quite a few uh, RAF pilots that served on uh, the um uh, Navy carriers that uh, flew the Phantom. Oh. Uh, they were, yeah, probably about, a, I don't know, a quarter or a third of uh, the uh, Navy squadrons are made up of RAF pilots. I did not uh, know that. Okay. Um, on a kind of uh, exchange or just, you know, doing the odd tour with them. Uh, but uh, no, uh, by the time I joined the Phantom Force, the uh, the Navy Phantoms were being uh, sort of wound up, as it were, because uh, the aircraft carrier, uh, the last one we had, which was Ark Royal, if I'm not mistaken, uh, was uh, being towed away to be turned into razor blades. And um, the final uh, Phantoms were just in the process, more or less, of being handed over from uh, the Navy to the Air Force uh, and, uh, you know, repainted and modified. So um, the answer is no. However, I was at the base where um, the Navy did their training, ground training, or not ground training, their onshore uh, training on the Phantom. And uh, one of our runways had uh, a PUAG, which is uh, the Navy-style arrestor gear. And the difference between the two is the PUAC has a very short uh, run-out when you engage it. Uh, and uh, it also is capable of pulling the aircraft back. When you come to a halt, it has a gentle tension on it, which pulls the aircraft back. And the importance there is that it allows you to uh, let the aircraft roll back, uh, and then uh, you can lift your hook while you're rolling back, uh, and it uh, won't drag the cable up off the ground. Uh, and then you can just put a bit of power on and taxi straight off the runway. So you uh, can put lots of aircraft into the PUAG very quickly, one after the other. Uh, whereas the uh, rotary hydraulic arrest together, RAG, that uh, the RAF uh, fitted at their bases. And so our Navy, oh, sorry, our uh, base at Lucas had both systems. The RAGs were on the main runway. The PUAG was on the crosswind runway. Um, if we went into the RAG, that thing ran out for about 1,500 yards. Uh, it all sort of ground to a halt when you uh, you know stopped. Uh, and then you had to, the team would uh, come running out. Um, they would uh, drag the cable off the hook. Uh, they would latch the hook up. Uh, and then you could uh, taxi clear. And then it took them ages to rewind the damn thing. And it all had to cool down uh, so that it took um, quite a while before it could be reset for another aircraft to use, um, which was a disadvantage if you're trying to put lots of airplanes into it. Not that you generally would. Uh, the whole point of the RF rag was it was sort of an emergency device to be used mainly if you were... Uh, overran your landing and realized you couldn't stop. You could uh, engage the uh, the one at the far end of the runway. Or perhaps if you had a noseable steering failure or you knew you had a total brakes failure, then you would go into the approach end. So there were some situations when an approach end engagement was um, suitable. The first time I went into one, it was because we were at a crosswind limits and my nav, who would... Uh, was an authorizer. He had authorized my flight. It was him, <laughs> lovely Tony. Tone, tone the bone suggested, oh, come on, uh, uh, mate. <laughs> well, 
in a bit out of cross when it's one of me going at the rag and I said oh okay fair enough uh, I didn't actually realize that the same crosswind limits apply to engaging a cable as apply to doing a normal landing because you still have to put the airplane safely on the ground fact is you much less likely of course to run off the side of the runway because uh, of the crosswind but uh, anyway by the by um so yeah that's uh, that's the sort of uh, thing we used to do we used to practice going into the PUAG and actually on that end of the runway uh, where the Navy PUAG was, they had painted uh, the symbol, the sort of outline of a carrier deck so uh, the Navy guys could sort of sort of visually see how much run- runway they had or how much rollout they had if they were going to land on a carrier. So we used to pretend we were going to do carrier landings on into the PUAG, but uh, um, that's as far as we got, I'm afraid. Excellent. Um, Jim Howard um, writes uh, in the chat room, I did an approach and engagement in an F-111 once. It was a very gentle stop. Nothing like that Navy. No, no. The um, the, <laughs> the PUAG, when you went you really had to lock your straps. Otherwise, you'd be wearing the uh, gun sight, yeah. um, you know, and uh, <laughs> everyone would be laughing at you because you had a big gash in your forehead. <laughs> That's not good. But uh, even the PUAG, uh, it, 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 even that had a reasonably uh, fierce uh, deceleration because, after all, we're used to landing the airplane at uh, five or 6,000 feet, and you're stopping it in a little over 1,000 feet. So, yeah, it used to be quite a fierce deceleration if you weren't ready for it. I'd say. All right. Well, uh, thank you, Louisiana Steve, for that. Again, uh, if you want to watch that super cool uh, video, <laughs> we'll put a link to that in the show notes. Um, John uh, writes, I'm not a pilot. My John Deere steers itself when I hit the button. John Deere is a brand, I think most people know that listen to the show, John Deere tractors and uh, lawn uh, mowers and that kind of thing. My John Deere steers itself when I hit the button. I turn the system off when my new, uh, my young nephew drives, uh, so or drives her, so he learns how to control the machine. Let me try that again. My John Deere steers itself when I hit the button. I turn the system off when my young nephew drives her, so he learns how to control the machine. There we go. That sounded much better. You get to hear both versions. Now, if I've been <laughs> yeah. editing this audio, you'd only heard the second time I said that, <laughs> but you get it all this time. Uh, let's see. And then he also writes, uh, at a different time, I'm sure that Dr. Steph knows all the good places in Charleston to dine imbibe. So I submit that if you have a couple of hours to kill, try the horse carriage ride and the Hunley museum. My wife loved the carriage ride and I enjoyed seeing the world's first successful combat submarine. Now, as we all know, this was sent in on April 14th by John, uh, last episode in case you haven't heard, uh, while Stephanie and Justice were in uh, Charleston, uh, South Carolina, a, a very important event took place, and that was uh, the engagement uh, of the two of them for marriage. And uh, so she is now an engaged woman. Um, yeah. and they are fiancés. Uh, yes, Justice yes. is going to make an honest woman of her. Yes. Excellent. Yeah, so... All right. And then uh, I think that Dana has been feverishly uh, communicating with folks in the uh, chat room. Any other updates about uh, PIP's uh, situation coming in and licenses Uh, and stuff? Yeah, I think he's going to need to 
I'm trying to trying to. I think he has an FAA license already, a PPL. Um, if he, I think it'd be better off going on one of those Disney World rides myself. Yeah, that's true. It'd be a lot easier. Probably more fun. If, if he has a PPL, that'll make it a lot easier because uh, you need to have a U.S. based on what I'm seeing by the FAA government guidance. In order to operate a, a, a government a U.S. aircraft, you need to have a, a um, federally issued uh, pilot certificate, even if it's a temporary based on a foreign license. Well, where the heck so, did he go? How come he's not in the chat room answering all these questions? Uh, he's in a car somewhere, uh, I thought. Okay. Well, his excuse uh, to not come to Wings Over Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh was uh, because he was in Wales or something. So uh, it's oh, full of yeah. excuses. Anyway, so it was Jonah. He was in Wales. Yeah, he was. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, one, one very oh, okay. large one, I think. Uh, let's see. Uh, I'm just kind of running through these. Uh, looks like, uh, and you probably have already read this and responded to uh, our friend Ray Williams, my neighbor to the north at Alpharetta, Georgia. Um, and this is, I think basically this was communication to you, Captain Nick. Do, did, this is this something that you think we should talk about on the show? We talked about his, um, I believe his father. Um, uh, yes, I, I did actually, but I, I, he mentions an interesting story. So if I may, I'll, I'll just quickly read through this. Okay, now. there you go. So uh, he says, hi, Captain Nick. Thanks very much for sharing your dad's stories with us. They're truly fascinating. And if I may carp, way too short and too infrequent. Well, problem is, Ray, he lives the other side of the world. So it takes a, a wee while to get over there to record some more. He says, I get some stings of nostalgia for my dad's tales, as he would have been roughly the same age as your dad and had some great tales of the flying in the 40s. Uh, after demob, my dad was asked to ferry a Percival Proctor out of South Africa, and he and my mum were all set to do the flight when, due to some glitch in pre-flight planning, I began to make an appearance. <laughs> okay. She was obviously heavily pregnant. So instead of skimming the Nile and the Serengeti and a Proctor, my first flights were in utero uh, on a Sabina DC-4 and DC-3. So it sounds like she was heading off to go find a decent uh, hospital. The stories of the Sunderland were great, and they were the stories my father told of his time on the Sunderland. I loved that aeroplane. When I was a kid on holiday down on the Natal coast, I would see the South African Air Force Sunderlands flying low just off the beach at Umhalanga. Umhalanga? No, well, uh, you'll probably correct me on that. Uh, I include some links below about Sunderland wartime activity. Ten Squadron, that was the squadron my father was in, features. And by the way, before they were forbidden to land on the ocean, Sunderland's actually landed and rescued passengers off a sinking merchant ship, the Kensington Court. And that'll be interesting. I might look that up. Of course, a made-for-plain-tail Sunderland story is that of the uh, Whiskey 4026 uh, with the aircraft code Delta Quebec Mike. On uh, August 25th, 1942, this aircraft took off from Invergordon in Scotland on a supposed trip to Iceland. So 1942 puts it in the middle of World War II. On board, amongst others, was the Duke of Kent, who was supposed to be on a morale-boosting visit to RAF units in Iceland. The aircraft was supposed to fly the, around the tip of Scotland and then head to Iceland all over water. 
However, about 30 or so miles into the flight, the aircraft turned 40 degrees from its planned course, crossed the coast near Berrydale, and about halfway between Berrydale and Barrymore, it crashed into Eagle's Rock at a height of 650 feet. The captain, Flight Lieutenant Frank Goyen, uh, an Australian pilot, was highly regarded and had been chosen on previous occasions to fly some of British uh, Britain's politicians. Moreover, his co-pilot was his CO, Wing Commander Mosley, who was one of the Air Force's most experienced pilots and also a navigation expert and instructor at the RAF School of Navigation. Now, just as an aside, the worst thing you can ever do if you want to have a flight conducted properly is to have two very experienced pilots trying to do it uh, i think jeff will probably say that the worst instance we always have is when you have two training captains on board the airplane that is absolutely true <laughs> so this extreme deviation from course appears unlikely to have been accidental there are claims that the aircraft was in cloud or fog yet the official government report of the crash states that the weather was clear all on board were killed except for the tail gunner who either depending on which report one reads wandered around dazed confused with burns on his hands until found by local crofters or wandered away from the crash and only reappeared days later. And the rumours are rife. The Nazi, Rudolf Hess, was on the plane, having been picked up from a local loch. Well, I think that's probably a bit unlikely. An attaché case filled with Swedish banknotes was strapped to the Duke of Kent's wrist. Mm, possibly. They, seems unlikely he'd have it on his wrist. He'd have an underling to do that. The plane possibly had been sabotaged by Winston Churchill staff to get rid of a Nazi sympathetic royal. Well, I don't know about that. Some things, however, are dinkum strange and provide tinder for the rumour fire. All the remains of the aircraft were salvaged and the crash site cleared completely, unlike other crash sites where only the armament, classified instruments and major parts necessary to provide uh, Britain's need for aluminium and steel were salvaged. The reports of the crash were sealed for 100 years. Most other documents were sealed for 15 the tail gunner survivor was hit with Dora. <laughs> poor, poor man. Oh, uh, no, oh, I'm sorry. Dora is uh, the Defense of the Realm Act and never spoke about the crash again. Talk about freaking overkill for a rah-rah flight to Reykjavik. <laughs> Very well put, Ray. Anyway, thanks again for your raconteur uh, of Dad's Times and Stories. Uh, they are very much appreciated. And so is your uh, email, Ray. Thank you very much indeed. That fabulous story. I won't have to turn it into a pain tale now, as everyone now knows what happened. <laughs> but, but I do appreciate it. Thanks very much. Absolutely. Ray is always uh, uh, so nice to talk to. He's been at several of the Atlanta meetups. In fact, he kind of coordinated the first one that we had over at uh, Petrie Cab uh, Airport. Ah, brilliant. Yep. Yeah. Oh, they, that was the one, the, the sort of World, World War II style restaurant. Mm -hmm. Was that the one? Yeah. Oh, I enjoy that very much. Yeah, you that were was there. That's great. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's see. Luke. Send in some feedback. I uh, thought you might enjoy this recent interview with Concord Captain John Hutchinson. Would so love to share a coffee and a chat with this gentleman. And he uh, included the link to a YouTube video. Let me play a little bit of it. I'm not sure exactly how that will translate to the show, but let's see. 
Hi, I'm Mike and welcome to Aircrew Interview. John Hutchinson was a BA Concorde captain from 1977 to 1992. In this interview, he talks about his whole Concorde career and also gives a nice tour of the cockpit based at Duxford. He also chats about the 707, 747, the Shackletons with uh, the RAF and also the Harvard in Canada. We've also got a new newsletter which you can go and sign up for for exclusive info and any other deals we have at aircrewinterview.tv. Please enjoy and thanks for watching. Okay, um, there's somebody else that I'm trying to remember, somebody that I think I know that was on um, Aircrew Interview. Yeah, I can't think of it. Wasn't it you, Captain Nick? Oh, uh, yeah, I've been on that, but you have two, haven't you? <laughs> no. Oh, no, really? <laughs> yeah, I have not. Oh, I wouldn't have said nothing. No. No, I, it, that was a, no, it was a fascinating experience being on that, but uh, I think um, um, Echo Interview were probably short of uh, decent uh, people <laughs> to interview, and they just grabbed the closest one. Um, but now they're, they're really um, have found some great uh, and very experienced pilots to interview. And uh, yeah, they, it's getting, it's improving uh, every time they, uh, they do one. It's no, great. in that case, he'll never call me and, and <laughs> I really don't want him to because there's nothing really for me to talk pretty about. Pretty damn famous, Jeff. <laughs> yeah. Not for flying airplanes. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we'll include a link to this YouTube video in the show notes. If you want to watch the whole thing, I'm going to watch it. It's a little over an hour long, one hour and eight minutes. So uh, that was just the uh, the intro. Um, let's see, Devin. Sorry, I was a little quiet there, guys. I, oh. I've been trying to trying to answer this question, uh-huh. and uh, it's pretty abstract because what they refer to, not to digress, but uh, what they refer to is anybody that's coming over here for training, or or a and, and what the definition of training is 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 as far as I can tell is is obtaining a training for a certificate. Um, and if you're coming in for a training for a certificate, you have to have your background verified, TSA cleared prior to commencing any training. However, he's already already has his ticket. Yeah, I doesn't all he'd be doing is BFR. And I'm, I'm really, it's kind of, it's kind of gray area as to with him being a foreign pilot, what his requirements will be, other than having a a, a FAA issued. Uh, uh, airman certificate. So, my my suggestion to Pip, I just put it out here on on the, the chat, is that uh, figure out which uh, which flight school you want to go to. Give them a call and uh, figure out because they're going to be the experts on that. What what you're going to be required to present to be able to to fly or rent an aircraft here in the United States as a, as a foreign pilot. Yeah, and and that uh, website that Jim Howard referred to, Open Airplane, might be a good place to start. Absolutely. Okay. Excellent. Well, thanks for doing all that work, Dana. Um, Let's see. Devin writes in, most useful, useless items in an airplane. And we have to be careful with this one. Hello there, APG crew. Just a quick question. In your opinion, what is the most useful, the most... Oh, I just said that. Okay, that was the the title of his feedback. Thanks again for all the work that you all do for the show. Devin from Sacramento. Um, So who wants to uh, have a go at this one? Yeah, I'll go first. It's the Boeing chocolate teapot. We've always found that pretty (laughs) useful. Oh, boy. (laughs) Sorry, Dana. Didn't didn't mean to set you off. Useful uh, items, uh, I'd say fuel, 
unless you're uh, and, and you're in, unless you're crashing and you're on fire. <laughs> yep. um, the E two B is pretty useless. Now I know it's there, uh, and it's probably you know perhaps saved somebody's life one time. But um, on your aircraft, uh, isn't the standby compass stuck at the back of the cockpit? You have to look at it through a mirror or something. Yeah, on the glare shield, there's a little both for the. Uh, first officer and the captain a little maybe two inch long by three quarters of an inch high or maybe an inch high speak for yourself <laughs> i'm talking about the mirror but seriously amongst all three of us have any of us heard of someone actually having to use the standby compass in an airliner nope. to work out where they're going no i would just get on the radio and say you know just give me some no gyro vectors that'll work yeah, I'd, I'd do like the Boeing 747 boys used to do when, where they had to do a holding pattern. They'd find an Airbus and follow him around. Yep, there you go. Ba-doom, bam. Um, oh, speaking of that, well, it has nothing to do with what you just said, but it, uh, for some reason it just reminded me, oh, compasses and, and headings and that kind of thing, courses. There was something on a, a show on, I think it's NBC, um, Dateline, is that? Yeah, is that an NBC show here in the U.S.? They did a um, uh, episode or um, whatever on um, something last night. I think it was called Into the Wild or something like that. Or um, a student pilot several years ago uh, was doing her solo cross country and um, had already completed at least. Was that's a three leg thing, isn't it? Like a triangular kind of thing. Dana, is that right? Uh, solo cross country, or is it just an out and back? Oh uh, no! It's a tr- more of a triangle. Usually, it, okay. you have to hit three points. You, you know your origination point. Then you have to go straight line distance. I'm forgetting whether it's 100 nautical miles. One leg has to be 100 nautical miles, and of course the other ones have to be 50 nautical miles or greater. So, it works out to be a triangle. Okay. And so I was, um, I came in. I, I was going through the channels, and I, I started watching it after the show had started. So I probably didn't get all the background information about this uh, young lady who set off i guess on her last leg heading back to her her airport of origination and uh, I, I gather that she started in great falls montana and then headed to somewhere in wyoming and then was going to turn back around and head back to montana and instead when she took off she transposed or forgot to add a zero in the heading in her gps system and so instead of flying to the northeast back home to her home airport she flew in a southwesterly direction and i'm thinking to myself as i'm watching this um yeah even the dogs see the problem with this whole thing exactly i mean the dogs out uh like come on i mean i I feel sorry for the fact that she crashed an airplane uh obviously she survived the whole thing but i'm thinking uh did at any point did you think why is it that i'm kind of flying into a direction and the sun's kind of in my face and i'm not noticing that the terrain is nothing really like what i'm supposed to be seeing and but just keeps on going (laughs) i know she's a student pilot or was a student pilot but still i'm thinking come on you know use some have some situational awareness but i guess we all big picture stuff yeah so i guess it was supposed to be like zero two five and she was flying 205 or something like that um Anyway, I mean, aren't, aren't students supposed to do it the uh, traditional way where they actually do fly stopwatch and compass and, and a map? Are they allowed to use GPSs? I don't know. Uh, she said that she was supposed to follow a river and just so happened to be a river going 
the wrong way, uh, which makes sense. You know, the, the river that she was going to follow to the northeast was also going to the southwest. Uh, and the terrain that she was supposed to be flying over was only supposed to be at like 6,000 feet or something like that. And the uh, terrain in which she crashed was 12,000. Um, well, yeah, I mean, for a general aviation pilot, uh, the GPS is just a situational awareness tool only. You're supposed <laughs> to be work. dead reckon. Yeah. Dead reckon anywhere you go. And, and by the way, it's 50 nautical miles. So they'll correct me. So each leg will be 50 nautical miles on, on, on the uh, cross country. Yeah. I think the hundred miles is uh, for commercial, if I remember correctly, but, uh, but still I'm thinking to anyways, myself, yeah. um, and, and I, I, I hate to be, <laughs> I hate to be, uh, so critical, but I'm you know, like, if you're heading that direction and you see the sun over here, just like most kind of off to your right a little bit. I don't know. To me, that would indicate uh, something's not right because the sun should be behind me, you know, or off to my left shoulder, whatever, not my right. Some people don't have that chip in their brain, Jeff. I guess not. Oh, well. I mean, that that just shows you reliance on automation can get you in trouble. Absolutely can. And in this case, not automation, but you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. Okay. I, I digress. Um... Yeah, so Devin, uh, yeah, the the standby compass is prob- probably the most useless item until you actually need it. So, I don't know. Anything else you want to add to or subtract from <laughs> Devin's feedback and question posed? No. Okay. Uh, Captain Al had some good ones. Uh, uh, he that? thought the, uh, the roof rack on the airplane was probably pretty useless. The what? The roof rack. Oh, roof rack. I thought you said the reef rack. (laughs) (laughs) What's a reef rack? I don't even know what that is. (laughs) Roof rack. Uh, He says, but the cabin crew are very useful, especially on a cold night stop. Yes, absolutely. Uh, The autopilot disconnect switch on the Airbus. (laughs) It's never used. Uh, we know that's not true. Captain Nick always tells us that uh, he likes to hand fly the airplane coming in. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Awesome. What's the fun point of having that uh, joystick if you don't get some joy from it? Exactly. Uh, and that deserves a... That's what she said. All right. <laughs> I, think um, most, I think the most use, useless but useful item on the airplane is an ADF. No, the ADF is, is useful because you can pick up the radio stations, Dana. Well, that's exactly. right. So I said it's the most useless, use, useful piece of equipment. Ah, we don't right. use it for aviating anymore. We just use it to listen to Radio Disney. Okay, there you go. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Only kidding. I don't do that. No, no, we we would never do that. No, I wouldn't listen to the cricket scores either. <laughs> no. Who would do that? We're all no. concentrating on flying the airplane and all that stuff. Absolutely. Okay, um, Robert, uh, he's here in the uh, uh, the Atlanta area, and I have to uh, apologize. Um, Robert sent me a piece of feedback uh, a couple of months ago and said, hey, we should get together, uh, check out this new stadium up there in Cobb County, not too far from where Dana lives. And um, it is, uh, and then he said that um, there is, they were doing some kind of a game. I think the... University of Georgia uh, baseball team had a game there uh, before its official opening uh, day. And he said, we should get together and go see a game. And I thought, yeah, that's great. Well, um, 
I have to warn you, I don't have a secretary and I'm not very good with organizational things and I completely forgot about it. And um, I do apologize, Robert. I hope if you did go, I hope that it was a good game, but uh, maybe we should do a an APG outing sometime to the ballpark and see a baseball game or something. That'd be fun. Ooh, who are we going to out? Um, who are we going to what? Who are we going to out on who? this outing? Oh, I see. Um, what should I say? A um, <laughs> an excursion, uh, a uh, a meetup? No, I don't know. Uh, not me. I'd love to go. I'd love to go and see American sports. I think it's fabulous. It's yeah. just not because they're so different to everything we have at home. Yeah, and then same same goes for us. I'd, I'd love to see a, a cricket match or something like that, and, and scratch my head and try to figure out what's going on there. Yep. Um. Anyway, he says. Yeah, uh, that'd be kind of. That'd be kind of fun for the fifth, the sixteenth. Look, see if the yeah, the, when Glenn is in town. Playing. Well, let's go see a baseball yeah. game. See if they're playing here. That'd be fun. Um, let's see. Although I have other opinions, namely there was nothing wrong with Turner Field. Uh, I agree. The new ballpark is wide open and going. Just a few observations. So he did go. The removed seven fifty seven tail is on display, greeting everyone on arrival. I included the link to the story below. So he has a picture here of the uh, Acme. 757 tail uh and i guess uh, one of the major sponsors of the ballpark is uh, the airline for which dana and i fly uh the the acme medallion parking lot does not appear to have made its way to the new stadium as there's no room for it ironically the new uh, acme parking lot is reserved for those paying high dollars to sit in the all-exclusive acme 360 club there's a really nice exhibit to Hank Aaron I recommend seeing. I hope hopefully the goals of the new park will make it successful. I live a few miles away and fear the new auto traffic to an already congested area will be tough, but we'll see. So uh thanks uh Robert for your update on the new ballpark and uh yeah, we'll have to it's called SunTrust Park. Um moving on, Zach says I came across this article on Business Insider regarding a passenger being removed from flight 2035 for using the bathroom during taxi. Okay, yeah. I think we've already discussed this. Well, let me see uh, what he has to say later in this feedback. Um, Earlier this year, while flying from Halifax to Orlando with my wife and nine-year-old daughter, my daughter inevitably decided that she had not Uh, that she had to use the bathroom as soon as we entered our final descent into Orlando. Although I don't recall the plane was still moving or not. Once we touched down, not at the gate, we managed to get a flight attendant's attention as she was about to soil the 737-800 cabin. The flight attendant promptly brought her back to the back of the plane, took all the garbage from the flight out of the lavatory and allowed her to use the bathroom. Again, um, I wasn't on this Acme flight where they had the issue with the passenger, so I don't know the whole story. It does seem, however, like a bit of an excessive measure. Yeah, and we did talk about it and the fact that there was more to it than just some guy that had to go to the bathroom. Uh, apparently, uh, they thought it was a, a more serious situation, and, and uh, the person was told several times to return to his seat, and he basically ignored the crew's requests and anyway again uh kind of old news but you know we're trying to catch up with all the old feedback so absolutely um usually and also you know uh, in my experience if somebody's got to go to the bathroom like your nine-year-old daughter after landing or somebody you know while we're taxiing out uh 
that usually happens. Uh, we're notified of this, and and it happens pretty discreetly, and um, nothing that uh, reaches the news wire or the social media happens. So again, that's why I'm kind of um, skeptical of that it was just that situation with that gentleman and re- requiring or uh, resulting in that airplane returning all the way to the gate and deplaning the entire airplane and all that. You know, we, we don't want to rehash the whole thing. But uh, anyway, um, you guys see anything in this um, feedback folder that you think that we really need to hit? Um, I'm looking. Okay. Looking. We had a couple people talk about uh, remote towers. Um, ben and Jackson um, from Wisconsin and uh, Ian uh, also uh, sent in a link to uh, an article regarding uh, the remote air traffic control preparing for takeoff at London City Airport. Let's see if that's the one that Ben and Jackson were talking about. Yes, the same one. This all came out about the same time back in at the end of May. Um, we were recently, li- this is Ben and Jackson. We were recently listening to Max Trescott's new podcast, which is a great one, by the way. And he mentioned that London City Airport was going to start using a remote tower. Not sure if you've talked about remote towers in the past. We have. We're still not close to caught up, but feeding our APG syndrome in force. But in the APG episodes we've heard so far, we haven't heard you discuss them. What are your opinions of remote control towers at airports? And they put a link to one of the uh, media outlets uh, coverage of the London remote air traffic control tower. Um, I don't know. You know, I, I, I'm not necessarily thumbs down on them. Um, I, I don't think I think actually having a, a control tower with humans in it uh, at every place where you have airplanes taking off and landing is probably the the best thing as far as safety is concerned, but I understand the economics involved in all this, especially fields that are maybe not quite as heavily used. Um, uh, we shall see, I guess. Maybe there's some advantages to them that uh, having a, a, a traditional tower uh, wouldn't have. What do you think, uh, Captain Nick? I'm thinking that technology will continue to make uh, the the links that would allow a safe uh, transfer of video and the fidelity of uh, good video uh, to uh, a sort of a centralized visual control center um, are going to improve after all you think about it. Uh, all the radar heads that uh, feed a uh, centralized air traffic control center will be uh, fed in and uh, they manage to, uh, you know, control aircraft uh, through those remote heads, uh, you know, perfectly safely. It's the same sort of principle when you talk about a camera uh, scanning. Uh, Presumably there will be uh, redundancy and backup built in. And um, worst comes to worst, uh, you'd have to close the airport if uh, if it all failed. Uh, I don't see any particular difference in the safety of it because uh, in fact uh, it might actually be an improvement because uh, the eye can only see to a certain point otherwise you're picking up binoculars if you can uh, uh, electronically enhance the picture you're looking at to get a better view of uh, aircraft in your visual circuit that could actually be uh, much better than having to pick up a set of binoculars Um, you could also tie in all sorts of uh, um, assistance uh, for your visual controller. So you could tie radar into it that would put an acquisition box onto your uh, screens that your 
you know, replacing with your uh, with the windows so that uh, every aircraft that the radar sees around your control tower uh, is actually highlighted with all the aircraft information there on on top, you know, overlaid on it. I, c- I can see it actually being a lot easier and safer for the controllers to uh, be able to identify who's in their S- circuit, who the intruders are, uh, who's going where and doing what. Um, and um, the only problem I really see is uh, that the con- if a controller is trying to do more than one visual uh, control room uh, is the usual problem of being maxed out. But the controllers seem to be able to work quite happily uh, on a radar system doing different sectors uh, and they mix and meld those uh, live while they, you know, were in their work periods. And yeah, I, th- I think w- when the technology is there and proven, it, it will be possible. Whether it's actually cheaper than putting a guy in a glass box, I, I really don't know. I think. I think we're going to see it is, and uh, you make uh, some good points about you know the the fact that there may be some advantages to these remote um, systems with the technology that we have today. So, good, very good point. Yeah, uh, but only if you're going to spend the money on it. If right. you're just going to put a, um, <laughs> I hate to say, if you're going to put a webcam and stick it on the top of a tower and say, "Well, there you go, mate." I'll- That's good enough. <laughs> you can do it from home. Work from home. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. be guys asking for landing clearance and the uh, controllers in the other room getting a beer out of the fridge yeah perfect <laughs> exactly um let's you know, see. I w- go ahead i would Dan. say I, w- I would say i'm in agreement with nick uh, on on many accounts because if you if you if you've ever been up in an air traffic control tower um their primary uh other than obviously their eyes but their primary uh source of information is the radar screen that they always are looking up at. If you, you know, if you've ever been up in the, in the control tower, the, usually the radar screens above their heads, you know, they, they're looking up and uh, of course they have all the tickets down below them. Um, I don't, I don't see a problem with it either. Uh, you know, the only thing is having redundant systems and, and being able to account for any type of power outage or, or um, I, I, remotely for smaller airports, not an issue. Uh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to see some, something like that at JFK, LaGuardia or, or Atlanta. I mean, that's, that's certainly not, uh, that yeah. wouldn't be prudent, but uh, in a small operation, you know, maybe, maybe I can, I can see the future on that one. Yeah. Um, he also uh, adds also now that you, you're recovered from the hubaloo, uh, or Hullaboo, I think maybe of wings over Pittsburgh. Have you started discussions on the cruise trip to air venture? It's the Apollo program's 50th anniversary. And a number of astronauts from that program are attending for special events on Apollo day, which is Friday, July 28th, including Buzz Aldrin. We're planning on t- attending air venture that day as it might be our only opportunity to see some of these astronauts in person. Don't forget my offer of a Milwaukee Brewers game for any of the crew or community members that uh, that weekend or anytime. Until next time, keep the IPA bottle bottom up. And again, that's Ben and Jackson Harned from Wisconsin. And uh, as I mentioned in uh, an earlier episode, it may have been the last one, I may possibly be making uh, a quick trip up to um, Air Venture on Wednesday of the uh, air venture week uh, because I have a long layover in Madison. Um, but not Friday because I have to be back 
um, Wednesday night uh, in Madison, Wisconsin, so that I can fly the rest of my trip on Thursday. But I do know that there are several people from the APG community uh, who are going to be in attendance. Uh, Glenn Taller from uh, New Zealand, and I think Jen is going to be there. And uh, let's see, is Dave Abbey? I think he's going to make a trip to uh, to uh, Air Adventure. And um, I'm off. I'm thinking about it. Dispatcher Mike, I think he's going to fly his airplane up there. And I think Hillel will be there as well. Um, I'm thinking about it too because I'm off that most of that week. All right, so we uh, yeah. we might have several there. So. Uh, Hopefully somebody yeah, will organize some kind a of a meetup. That would be fun. Yeah. All right. Uh, with that, are the girls back from tennis yet? No, I haven't heard uh, okay. a thing from them. They've even when it finishes, they've got an hour and a bit train oh, okay. journey. Uh, so uh, not yet, I don't think. Okay. Well, we're we're almost at three hours, so I think that that's oh, enough. Wait a minute. Uh, on the train to Hazelmere, then we'll pick up the list train. So Hazelmere is about twenty minutes away, and they haven't got there yet, by the sounds of it. That looks like uh, those who are attending in the chat room, Dana, uh, Jen, and Hillel say, "Come to Osh, Dana. Uh, we got a room for you." Woo! Cool. Excellent. That might work out. We'll see. <clears throat> as long as I'm back to work by then. Okay. <laughs> Only um, oh, and we t- talked a little bit about that meetup on the 16th with Glenn. Mm-hmm. Um, the the Braves are in town against Arizona at 135. Oh, nice. Yeah, that might be fun. All so, right. I don't know if Glenn wants to go see a baseball game or not, but anyway, we'll see. We'll see All right. She Sue is flying in, she says. Oh, cool. We'll have to uh, be be on the lookout for people wearing APG shirts or whatever. Uh, there's going to be and, – and check out uh, social media and follow some of these folks like um, Hillel and uh, Jen. And I'm sure that everybody will be uh, able to uh, get together and uh, have a great time. Absolutely. All right. Sweet. Well, with that, I think that um, – we, we put in a pretty big dent in our backlog of feedback, and uh, that's going to make us uh, feel a little bit uh, more more uh, relaxed and comfortable as we continue with the regular series of APG shows. Uh, episode 279 will occur at some point um, this week, I believe. We're still trying to work out exactly exactly the details. I know that Micah, uh, I mentioned possibly uh, doing a recording from the uh, main man studios, but uh, we're that may have changed the, based on the availability of all of us this week. So I'll be in contact with you to let you know what's going on with that. But um, looks like Dana is going to be available for whenever we try to do this. I think uh, Steph said something about uh, Wednesday. Evening would be a good time for her. I know that uh, uh, Nick is going to be uh, out until what? What did you say? Friday night or Saturday? Uh, yeah, I've got uh, after Liz leaves. I've got uh, Australian uh, relations pitching up for a couple of days. Yeah. Uh, but uh, the best day for me is Friday or Saturday because I will be in New York at the New Yorker, and we know the internet there works. So. Uh, uh, and that's it's always great for me to do one down rate because it means I don't uh, have to be right. up to the hours here. Exactly. So let's uh, just tentatively plan on um, recording Friday night or Saturday morning. That may uh, that obviously is subject to change. 
And uh, Micah, um, yeah, as you say, whether we're recording or not, uh, we'll definitely have some uh, sort of a meetup in Portland, Maine. So if you're listening to this, you happen to be in the uh, Portland, Maine area, uh, just uh, watch the notices on Facebook, uh, Twitter, and Slack as far as uh, where we may be and at what time and that kind of thing. So looking forward to seeing you, Micah. And I guess until next time, oh, before we go, I should mention that uh, the AirlinePilotGuyWeb.com website is a great place to find out more about the show and uh, the apps we've mentioned a few times on this show. Social media, we've also mentioned that, APG Crew and uh, Airline Pilot Guy. Uh, let's see, Dana is, uh, what's your Twitter address there, Dana? My Twitter address is, uh, well, good see? question, I have to look it up. <laughs> so you, <laughs> you see how much Dana's on Twitter. He doesn't even know what his, his Twitter ID uh, is. Uh, I think it's First Officer Dana, so I think I have him. <laughs> well, anyway, uh, Airline Pilot Guy, the, the uh, Facebook site, Hillel. Um, uh, let's see. I don't know if it's I... It's First Officer Dana at Dive, at dive and Flying. Okay. And, and uh, the Facebook Airline Pilot Guy, so it's Facebook.com Airline Pilot Guy. Uh, there's a forward slash between those two. Now has uh, some pictures from uh, the lovely barbecue we had the other day. So oh, lovely. More reason to go there. And... I should probably fire up the uh, soundbite on my computer here, and then I can have uh, Hillel uh, talk about... Where did I put that? Hmm. Well, I'll probably have to add this in like I did last time. <laughs> I, I need to write I this down. I'm to do any editing. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, I'll, I'll do a little bit of editing, maybe. Um, maybe. Yeah. So, anyway, Hillel's going to tell us about how you can join us on Slack. Thank you, Hillel. <laughs> well done, Hillel. Thanks, babe. Just contact, oh, just, just contact Hillel. He's at HI11E1. <laughs> and I think he just needs your email address. He'll send you information on how to join the Slack group. And until next time... <laughs> Wishing you clear skies, unlimited visibility, and tailwinds. Take care and God bless. Yeah, goodbye, everyone. Have a great day, everybody. We'll see you soon. Talons, Douglas. Good day. W-A-P-G Airline Pilot Guy That was terrible! Horrendous! I'm offended! I'm appalled! So what are we gonna do? Oh, what else? Email it to everybody we know! Good idea.